Hello again, friends! And you are our friends! <laughs> I gotta do it again. <laughs> no, this isn't perfect. This isn't perfect for this show. Leave it in. This... I don't know how to begin it now, because we've done this already. On multiple days. Welcome to Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru. I'm the great Brian Last. We have, we have so much to get to. We have, we have done this many times, many days. We have too much and to And we're to. not having a merry, merry time of this. Let me take over. That's a safe bet every time, Brian Last. This is n- numerous times we have tried to start this program. This is the drive-thru. You're the great Brian Last. I'm, of course, Jim Cornette. Who else would I be? Nobody else would be sitting here still with you after the fucking procedures we've gone through. But the world is burning. There's all kinds of news to talk about. And we've been trying to talk about it. And normally, I get a lot of guff, Brian Last. Are you still there, by the way? Just speak to me so I know you're there. I am still here. Okay. Are you still there? Well, let me know if you can't hear me. Uh, Just speak up. And the people will find out why this is going on in a second. But normally, I get a lot of guff for my substandard internet. I got the Spectrum Internet. And the boogie-woogie flu, and it's shitty internet, and they rip me off. They don't give me what I pay for, etc. We've gone over that many times. They can't ever fix it. They come out and make it worse. But your internet, oh, whenever you check the speed, it's blazing fast. It's blazing. It's so fast, it's setting shit on fire going across the desk. But for the past 48 hours, we've been trying to do this breaking news, newsworthy program, and what have we got from your internet service, the Infinity Service, right? The Infinity Internet Service, you got up to infinity and beyond. Well, it's been beyond, because it ain't been worth a shit. And we've been trying to do this program, and you've had people out there And you've had people on the phone, and you've been chatting with people, and they've come and they've done a variety of things numerous times. The whole neighborhood, your whole enclave up there has been affected. And it just goes to show you, Brian, this has proven a point that I've been making for a long time about this internet, this internet fad, this this craze of the World Wide Web. It's not going to last. It's like the pet rock and the hula hoop. It's a passing thing. And the main reason for that is because nobody, even the people who sell the thing, know how it works. Did or did not one of the alleged technicians trying to fix your issue say to you, when he had talked to people on the other end of the phone, he said, well, they said they did something, but we don't think they really do anything. They just say they did it. That's exactly what he said. Because I said, I spoke to the person, and they said they, you know, zapped something from there, and he goes, man, we don't even know what they do. They may not do anything. I said, really? And this is a guy working for their own company, talking to someone else who works for them. Remember when a guy was out here for hours and hours at the castle and talked to the people on the phone? Oh, they're going to, well, they didn't do it right. Oh, they're going to do that. Well, they didn't do it right, and it's gone. And then he showed me the list of all the, issues all the houses with issues and i'm like man the website says there are no reported outages no reported issues it was every single person on this you know why that that's because they're they're running the website that's why they don't they're not accountable we don't know 
it could be goddamn something under the ground that they had to they had to send a signal back to you to make sure that your signal was receiving their signal so the signals could coalesce and coexist. They don't know what they're fucking doing. But anyway, Brian, we we said because people, this is such a ridiculous reason. People are going to, ah, fuck it. They went to Las Vegas. Hookers and blow. They're spending all this YouTube money on. They just blew off the program. So we have proof that we've been trying to do this show. Because what would happen is that suddenly, for whatever reason, we don't know because they don't know because nobody knows. We would be talking, and then you would not, I would not be able to hear you. You could still hear me. Somehow, even though the internet was coming in and out, which would think it would be an all or nothing proposition, you could hear me, but I could not hear you. And this happened more than once. We, we didn't get a minute in the first time. And then we got a little bit longer the second time, but we thought we would show the people the challenges that we undergo in trying to just do a simple thing like have a game. Ma Bell didn't, never did this to us when we did this shit on the phone back in the old days. Would you like to play for the people? The cult of Cornette out there will expose our own business, something they were supposed to hear, but then they weren't going to hear it because it was scrapped. But now that it's become such a goddamn ridiculous proposition, we're going to play it anyway. I guess so. Here's that mighty minute that we recorded trying to open up the show a couple days ago. Hello again, friends! And you are our friends. We still don't have a theme song over here. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive Through right here on another day with so much to talk about. We really want to get to your questions, but there's just <laughs> nonstop crap everywhere. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. I'll be sifting through this crap with this man, the leader of the cult of crap, Mr. Jim Cornette. <laughs> hey, now do not... <laughs> Do not bandy around a substitution for my name made of fecal matter, you you turd blossom. Hey. Hey, I've got a theme song for it. Do you want to go to the drive-thru? Oh, God. We'll go to the drive-thru. See, I was singing to you, much to your chagrin, before we went on the air. You said, we're, we're going to have a party today on the show. I said, do you want to go potty? That is one, another one of Harley Quinn's potty songs. Do you want to go potty? We'll piss over there. Potty. We'll poop anywhere. Potty. That type of thing. All right. Well. Hello? Yeah, hello. Oh, you're not ribbing me now. I'm right here. Can you hear me? Hello. We got a minute in. Fucking. I, can you hear me now? Son of a bitch. All righty then. Hello. Well, Jim, there it is. The attempt that we made to open up the show the other day. We got about a minute in and I could hear you. You couldn't hear me. We gave up, but we did try again. Well, yes, because, uh, you know, you had called or texted or got in contact with these people and registered a complaint, and there was they were trying to do something, and we thought, well, well, we'll take another swing at this thing. And this was a little bit later, and we got a little bit further down the road this time. That we did. Let's go to the next attempt to open up the show. Open 2, I guess we'll call it. 
right now. Hello again, friends, and you are our friends, and it's another packed episode, so let's not waste any time. I'm the great <laughs> Ryan Lastra host. Here he is, Mr. Jim Cornette. Oh, God damn you. Oh, just fie upon you. I I hui upon your grave, sir, for, for that. God damn it. For that? For, for that and many other things. What... <sighs> What the people, the cult of Cornette, don't know is that we've already done the introduction to the program where you droned on forever, and then I jumped in and saved it, and then even sang a song, and nobody's ever going to hear that because your inter- your internet, your high-speed, blazing-fast, blistering-pace internet dropped the goddamn ball somehow. And after I'd done all of that, and and now you've just handed me off on our second try, you've handed me off a fucking cold tag. Iceberg tag. My hand just fell off from frostbite, Brian. We've had some internet issues here today at Last Manor and in the general vicinity. You sound completely like shit right now. But you see, on the recording, I'll sound fine, so people are going to think that you're just putting me down. Well, he's in love with me and I feel fine or whatever that, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, they were singing about you know, a girl, I was, but yeah, well, go ahead. Well, uh, she's in love. He's in love. Whoever's in love. Love is in the air. Love is in the air. Love is like oxygen. Okay. Sweet. Anyway, <laughs> so I was going to tell you about the miraculous thing that happened here at the castle yesterday. Before we had all of your internet problems, normally it's my spectrum, but in this case, it's your blazing fast internet that always gets praised and petted on. We had an amazing occurrence yesterday here at Castle Cornet in the first week of February. Would you would you like to know what that was? An amazing occurrence? Yes. I, I don't. I have no idea. I have no idea. We had a cookout. That's an an amazing occurrence. In the first week of February, it is. And for the last, the month of January, we had seven inches of rain here. And we're like three and a half inches ahead where we were in a drought for four months or whatever. And it was cold and it got down to goddamn teen below zero wind chills. And then all of a sudden, the last several days, in the first week of February, the average high has been 60 degrees. It was sunny yesterday. Stace got the, she's got the brand new uh, uh, meat barbecue smoker thingy do. And we had just got it in the fall and only had a chance to use it a time or two. And it's sitting out there. And we said, well, we'll just barbecue slash smoke us some chicken. I don't know what exactly the process is you put it in and you close the lid and there's smoke coming out of the thing. So I don't know technically if that qualifies as a barbecue or a smoker, but we had delicious chicken with the wood chicken breast with the Woody's cooking sauce. You can't beat that with a stick and had, had corn and had mashed taters and, and had a nice little cookout. First week of February. I can see you're impressed. Yeah. Maybe you're just off the air again and I can't. You no, can't no, I, I'm taking it all in. You're a cookout. The fact that you call it a cookout is pretty funny. Well, what do you mean? That's, that's a cookout. 
We cooked out. It was out in the yard and we were cooking. In the yard, not on the deck? No, it's out in the yard. Like people could see you? Like if they drive by, there's like, hey, there's a couple out there no, not having the a cookout on the front we're lawn. The, a little bonfire. We're in the backyard. We're not in the front yard. But what difference would it make if people came by and <laughs> I fucking dare, saw that we're I in our own you. yard, in our own property? I dare you to do it in your chicken. front yard. I dare you to do it in your front yard. <laughs> You'd be on the news. For what? For starting a fire on your front lawn and cooking? Well, goddamn it. For one thing, if somebody is looking all the way up in my front yard up here in front of the house from the road, as they're driving by, they're going to fucking run off the road and run into a tree anyway. It would take some concentration to be a war offense. It would take some concentration to be driving down the road and suddenly, well, I'll just stare up a couple or 300 feet in this guy's front yard and see if I can see anybody having a fucking call. Oh, there they are. Oh, what's that smoke? Where's that coming from? Oh. They're cooking a duck or whatever it is you were well, doing. Well, somebody's watching a Cheech and Chong movie. I don't know. But did you like those? We were the, What'd you think we of Cheech were, and Chong? Well, yes, I did. Why are you changing? The, I'm not finished blistering you about the goddamn first topic yet. Yes, oh, I, I was like Cheech and Chong movies okay, 45 good. years ago or whatever. They haven't done one lately, have they? No, but uh, they hold and up. And you're gone again. <laughs> you, If you can hear me... <laughs> All this says is reconnecting on my screen and your max headroom sunglass wearing motherfucking God damn. I hope you can hear me. I can hear every word of this. I fart in your general direction. Where is this? Yeah. That's what I think of that. Boy, that was some hilarious banter that we were into. The clock is still running here. We've been on the air now for nine minutes and seven seconds. Can you hear me? Apparently this thing ain't going to reconnect us. <laughs> Hello. We have to be Can you hear me? Work on the Skype boat all day long. Daylight go and earth comes. Where are these? Are Up oh, now I lost you. There it is. That's the moment. That's the moment the music died. And there it is. You hear the end of that. That one by the end of it, no one could hear anything. That was literally... Let's take that offline. And that's what happened. <laughs> and then it was just a nightmare. The guy came out here. The guy was great. The guy said, hey, everything looks great here. Everything's perfect here. It's coming into the street. We think someone was doing construction and may have cut the line. And the internet's leaking out. Well, well, wait a minute. What I is said, it? really? Is this like the goddamn water company? They've 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 plowed into the water main and the internet's leaking out in the street. How would that how would it be not an all or nothing proposition if they'd have plowed through some goddamn line? I'm, I mean, the, the, as a matter of fact, I, who it was the cable company at the old place I used to live here many, many years ago that came out trying to fix my bury my cable line and cut my goddamn phone line. But it was Dead. So the technician said they know there's an issue in the area that his supervisor is hovering, whatever the fuck that means, <laughs> in Somerset County, which is one county over, three minutes away, waiting to start this process. They plan to start it the next morning. It should be done by 11 o'clock. The website says 11.05. All right. Five-minute discrepancy. 11.30, internet drops out. 11.32, internet drops. Just keeps <laughs> dropping out. Like, what the fuck? So then I start calling and chatting where I get a variety of answers. 
and a multitude of $20 credits to my account, but they can't give me a straight answer. Then they tell me it's fixed. Then they tell me it's not fixed. Then they tell me it's, it'll be fixed in two to three hours. They give me specific times. Then they say, I need a technician. And I say, no, I had the technician. He said, it's not my house. You guys got to do work on the street. Just tell me if that work's being done. Just give me something. And no one knows anything. None of them are even in this country. And then they say weird things to you. I'm telling this woman on the phone, Luna was her name. But all no. These, yeah, apparently that's not a common name. So I'm telling Luna about all these issues I'm having. And you know what she says to me? I'm so sorry. I will do my best to help you remember a smile is the best uniform we could wear. What? What? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I said, well, thank you, Luna. When I can get back to business, I'll be smiling plenty. Have they given a book of Bartlett's quotations to these people to fucking spread joy while they're, they're hearing misery? I have in a chat, another guy was like, as I'm telling him about this, I'm like, yeah, I can't function without the internet. Can you guys make this work? And he's like, hey, sure, I will give you a $20 credit. Also, please know that you, your family, and your business will be in my prayers. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, I, you, you and the latest mass shooting victims, we're keeping you in our thoughts and prayers. A smile is the best uniform you could wear. <laughs> what the fuck is that? But anyway, you see, you know, I would have been saying, well, I'm going to take I'm going to come through this fucking telephone and wipe that fucking smile off your face with a fucking sandblaster there, Pippi. It was Luna and she sounded like she was smiling as she said it. So I couldn't help but smile. Like, you know, this woman's very nice. It <laughs> sucks that she works for a company that's fucking up my Internet. <laughs> and that's the story. I may try to rally the neighbors so we could uh, lobby to get Fios, Verizon Fios in the neighborhood. P pitchforks and torches rally the neighbors they're going to be coming down the fucking street well they're the people in my neighborhood may be people of influence if uh pushed the right way just well get get your neighbor chris christie's your next door neighbor right he's not next door no well down the street you know he's in the area but let's he's, not go into uh anything that would violate secret service privacy <laughs> provisions or anything else this is my show. Is it true that when he walks down the street, he attracts kids' baseballs because he's got his own gravitational pull? Again, I, I couldn't comment one way or another on anything of this nature. All right. Well, let me just say this. Uh, just while we've the most important thing we've got to get out here, while we've still got some internet service, at least on both of our ends, is that it's on sale now, folks. We've dicked around so long. The Midnight Express and Heavenly Bodies Tag Team action figure sets are on sale now at jimcornet.com. They went on sale Saturday, February 10th at noon Eastern. I'm sure you're not going to hear this before then. And uh, hopefully there are some left. If you go now to jimcornet.com, we don't know because we're still recording before that took place. You're not going to hear it till afterwards, so we don't know what the status is. But by gum, if there's any left, get them while they're hot because none of these will be remade or reissued or others produced in the future, as we've been talking about on the program. You can get Eaton and Condry. You can get Eaton and Lane. You can get Lane and Dr. Tom Pritchard, the Heavenly Bodies, along with the last remaining Midnight Express four packs with all of us, me, Bobby, Stan, and Dennis, along with the autographed pictures, the 
Milestone Books, if those packages are still available, and so much more. And this is the final version of the, or final chapter of the Midnight Express 40th anniversary celebration. We're going out with a bang with these exclusive, only available at jimcornette.com, collector's edition, limited edition action figure sets that are just, just beautiful, just lovely. They're, they're, they're pretty as a speckled pup. I can't wait for the next place at Jim Cornette and the Internet Repairman. And it could just be like skull-splitting tennis racket action. <laughs> well, my Internet's not the Internet that needs repair. Oh, you've had plenty today. of issues with these guys coming. You've had more issues with them coming over your place than me over the last two that's, days. That's why I don't let them come over my place anymore. They're in the walls. Come on to my house, to my house. I'm going to give you candy. Lure them in with candy. And then a suitable application of a blunt instrument to the prefrontal lobe. You're talking about the internet repairman? Well, whatever you're trying to catch, candy's good bait. Well, no, candy is not good. I don't know what the hell you're talking about there, Mr. Magoo, but this sounds like I'll bad advice. Candy was dandy. Can candy is dandy, that's right. Well, uh, there you go. All right, well, Cuban B, let's move on here with the show. And It's your program, and we got so much to talk about. There's people being sued. There's people being turning heel. It's a there's, daunting there's task this week. Money being made. Go ahead. There's so much. I don't know where to begin and where to end and what topics we'll do today and what will be on the experience, which we're recording tomorrow. That's right. We're, we're making this like it's podcast mania, night one and night two. Because we got so much. We're just going to do two days in a row. Yes, except other than it being early morning instead of night, it's just like that. Well, but you don't have to listen to this in the early morning just because we're doing it in the early morning. There was so much to talk about, and then we had these internet issues, and then there would be more to talk about, and then more internet issues, and the list just kept building up. Let's start at the beginning of the week. I think this may have been one of the first things, but we'll get everything all into these two shows. WWE Raw on the USA Network. Oh, my gosh. Well, see, I didn't know where you were going, so I got to grab my notes. Oh, yes. Here's my notes. Um, I think, and we'll probably say this a couple of times throughout the program, but I think it's fairly obvious that they didn't mean to do what they're doing, but it's what they're doing is probably going to be better than what they were originally going to do. Did I say that correctly? I think that is correct. And I think you said that correctly. And I think the way I said people would react to the rock stuff is exactly the way people reacted to it. And we'll get to the big pivot later on, <laughs> but leaning into it and pivoting the way they did may have produced something a whole lot more special. I think, you know, cause again, people are now they're like, well, wait a minute. What the fuck? And, you know, there's some people, oh, they meant to do this all along. Yeah, they're just, they're prognosticators on the level of Nostra dumbass. Or they have sensed what they got, the backlash, and they've figured out a way to capitalize on it. But who would have thought that we would be talking about The Rock as a heel in 2024 and his real-life animosity? with the fans such that his daughter's getting death threats on Twitter, of course, death threats on Twitter. It's kind of like a low-fat Twinkie, but still, it's ridiculous to think of. But nevertheless, on Raw on February the 5th, did you notice that Law & Order 
goes off right off the air right at 8 p.m. sharp. I did. I've been paying attention to that ever since we noticed that the Big Bang Theory goes a minute yeah. into Dynamite. Well, over on the USA Network, they want to get the reruns out of the way so they can get the high-rated first-run programming underway. But the SmackDown recap with Cody and Roman and The Rock and the whole thing that started the the turmoil, it came off better not only in the uh, with their world-class editing facility where they could put it together, but also because... You know, they're, as we said, they're starting to leave that wiggle room. And then Seth Franklin Rollins limp dance to the ring. He's trying to do whatever it is that he does on his entrance with his bad knee and at the same time show people he has a bad knee because he's wearing the brace on over his pants. And it just looks like an, an old man that's constipated. Going to the ring, does it? It looks odd, does it not? Yeah, I mean, his whole general thing is to look odd. I mean, he has giant shoulder pads like that Midler or something. I don't know what the hell's going on over there, but remember the guy from Talking Heads, David Byrne. Yes. The other thing is, he's kind of shown in the last several weeks in several segments, Cody, Drew McIntyre, different things that once you get past the whole "I'm a revolutionary." Like, you're not. Where's the revolution? Where's the vision? Where's all these things? It's just you're saying these things. When he's serious, he's really good. Yes. It's all this it, other, you know, goofy stuff. But we're getting more of the serious Rollins lately, and I like it. But I'm wondering why that he's not then, because Drew's getting serious, and Cody's in his own way serious as a heart attack, and Roman, and why is Seth not stepping? He's still doing some of the, yeah whatever it is but then he will get serious and you want to listen but the, i'm I, w I wish he'd go ahead and and come out and sell the fucking leg and talk about how that he's not a hundred percent but by god he's gonna fucking succeed uh, you know a, a little gravitas to the situation but anyway um you know he kind of tried to come back with rollins or for, with with reigns rather talking about his big pops and as soon as he referenced smackdown they started booing and the cody chants and they had the we want cody signs and <laughs> says that well i want cody too so he called cody out and cody does the big entrance and they, they get the big chance and now the crowd is chanting rocky sucks we want cody and the sign, one of the signs is fire Dwayne. And I told I'm, you this would happen. Yeah. Well, you don't have to sound like a goddamn uh, nagging wife about the water bill, for heaven's sake. I told you you have that sink running too long. Well, you know, I had to brush my teeth, honey, once a week. You can turn off the sink while you're brushing and turn it back on when you're done. <laughs> You've had practice at this. I've heard this speech, yes. <laughs> but anyway, so they've 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 accomplished something here. I'm not sure what. But then Seth wanted an answer. He needs the match as much as Cody does. The fans boo. And Seth has to know that he's better than the last time that they faced because Cody's beaten him three times, right? It, it yeah. was three. It was yeah. Including with a torn peck with one arm. Yes. 
So Seth says, are you going to fight me at WrestleMania? The crowd boos and Drew's music plays. And Drew comes out and says, I speak for everybody when I say, what the hell? What the hell are you doing? And he proceeds to tell fucking, you know, the people what we're all thinking. Cody, you got to finish your story. And the people, yay! And Drew's got the t-shirt on with the tombstone of, you know, RIP CM Punk's WrestleMania main events. They're still working that deal. And Drew wants Seth at WrestleMania so he can win that title and blah, blah, blah. And then so Drew said, big pitch to Cody, don't let everybody, don't let your dad down. And then Seth tells Drew, don't be a prick. I've beaten you twice. Was, and then Drew, let me stop, well, go let ahead. Let me stop you there. When was the last time we heard the word prick at 8 o'clock on USA Network? Well, I think, you know, with the headlines of the past few weeks, I believe we've, we've probably raised the bar on language a little bit at this point. Um, but this was great because that's when, when Seth said, I've beaten you twice, Drew. Drew says, well, Cody's beat you three times. And I think Drew is becoming one of the best promos in the WWE. But that also means that if Seth has beaten Drew twice and Cody's beaten Seth three times, and Cody ought to be able to kick his shit out of Drew, doesn't it? But nevertheless, that's why they maybe the one-loss records are not always a good idea in wrestling. But in this case, it works. So Anyway, Drew's story is it's time for him to take it from there, and he just headbutts Seth and gets in a fight with Cody, and Cody nails Drew, and he takes bump to the floor, and Drew's laughing about the whole thing that he's created. So th they're still keeping us interested in what the fuck's going to go on with all of these people. And nobody had yet made a declarative statement about what, if anything, they were going to be doing at WrestleMania at that point that we were waiting for. Correct? Correct. Really good segment. Really weird, abrupt ending to it. Well, they had to get out of there. And they certainly they were did. late. <laughs> but I mean, the problem is between stuff like this, the other segments we've seen recently, CM Punk, again, these guys, the Bloodline stuff. And then what we're going to talk about later, the WrestleMania kickoff press conference wasn't really much of a press conference. This stuff does a better job of selling you to want to see the matches on the big events than the actual matches do. Yes. And the matches in between these segments on the shows, they're not driving away too many people, but they do nothing to really get you invested. It's these segments on WWE TV lately that have been just incredible. It's almost like Game of Thrones. There are all these different yeah. parties. Everyone wants the belt. Everyone wants the throne. They'll work with each other. They'll stab each other in the back. There are all these main event figures right now on that stage, whether it's Roman, The Rock, Cody, Rollins, CM Punk, even though he's injured, he's still in that mix, Orton, McIntyre, maybe right there or a notch below, you have Sammy, you have Uso, you have AJ. LA Knight, you know, the dynamic, the interpersonal dynamics they're displaying, this is the way to do American pro wrestling right now. It's these kind of segments. Yeah, well, and and as you mentioned, the matches in between, they're kind of, 
they use the guys that aren't ready for these big talking segments and kind of auditions to see if people like anything about them, and then they can get over and move up into the fucking talking segments. So it's like, boy, as soon as you get to where you're a good enough wrestler that you don't have to wrestle, you got it made. Uh, but anyway, so we've got all of those people, as you said, going on, and then we've got one of those matches, as you said, the, the creeds and... Kaiser and Da Vinci and New Day and DIY in the four-way tag team scuffle to see who gets a tag team title match with the the champions. We overlooked this because it deserved it. Are apparently now Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne, and the top four contenders are the Creeds. Kaiser and Da Vinci, New Day and DIY, the do-it-yourselfers. This is the state of tag team wrestling in 2024. And this thing took 20 minutes, and Champa and Same Face won it. The Creeds looked pretty good in there. I thought they were going to win for a little while because they were, you know, shining really nicely. But they are wonderful athletes that do amazing things in between. Long stretches of green as a pepper tree. And they're they're either going to hurt somebody or themselves before they ever get to be main event level talent. See, the other problem is if you think back to a year ago, the tag team titles were in the main event picture with the Usos and everything happening with Sammy and Kevin Owens and Cody and the bloodline. (laughs) And now the tag titles are in that part of the show where kind of doesn't matter what's on the screen. You're just waiting for the next talking segment. None of the main eventers are in the tag team title picture. Well, and, you know, Vince didn't want to feature tag teams on top, but it may be worse now with a new mindset, because even if Triple H is a fan of, you know, the Hart Foundation or whoever from days gone by as a student of the game, how many tag team matches they have in the UFC? Right? So I'm wondering if they're like, what the fuck do we... But, I mean, they've got so many top singles that you just enumerated across both these programs that at some point they could have four of those guys break off into two tag teams and be halfway legitimate and draw some money. Because, like, even Damian Priest, Damian Priest has the briefcase, but he doesn't feel like he's at the level he was a few months ago. They have him doing the comedy stuff with R-Truth and working the tag title picture with the other guys against these kind of people. Yeah. And you can call out Drew McIntyre, but Drew McIntyre is dealing with the main eventers. Yeah. It almost feels like the judgment day have become, you know, the, the, the middle of the show fodder for the comedy spots rather than anybody in it, except for Rhea, uh, you know, being a legitimate main event level talent. And priest was about at that, point and everybody just all of a sudden poof he turned around and whoosh they were gone anyway um moving along on raw Raw rolls on yeah does it roll on well we we rolled on with becky and shana and i'm sorry but with all the news this week i was short on time i was reading up on my lawsuit terminology but Becky won, and the finish went three minutes across the nine o'clock hour. So they apparently they've got confidence in Becky's drawing power or ratings draw. Did I miss anything? No. Okay. So 
Again, in the back, Adam Pierce is chewing out Drew McIntyre for now you've hurt Punk and Seth Rollins, and you've done all I'm finding you to maintain order. And this, you know, so there's there's tension with the the, the top people there. And then we get Rhea. And I thought, okay, I'll watch this. Rhea doing a promo in the ring. She's pissed. It, and she's good pissed, too. She's good at everything she does. But this was a... I want the refrigerator out here. I'm going to rip her head off. And But instead, Pierce comes out and says, we're not doing this right now. I'm going to give you refrigerator jacks for the title at the elimination chamber. And I think, okay, at least we don't have to... And then suddenly... Boom, 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 Her music plays. What music was that? That was the music, y'all, when you see the big bulbous fucking whale or shark or manatee or whatever. Boom, 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 boom. And here she comes. And just as soon as Jax gets to the ring, Rhea nails her. Jax flies back into Adam Pierce, bumps him off the apron. And he took a nice little bump. And they get in a fight. Here comes security. And of course, the security holds Rhea so Nia Jax can run across and boom and level her and bonsai her. And again, they they they've come to the formula with the refrigerator where they don't let her speak or do anything for more than a couple minutes. She comes out, lays waste people and leaves. So at least it doesn't get old. But if she had the personality of awesome Kong instead of Sable, this would work, but she doesn't. She's just a bulbous black hole of charisma that has a droning voice and no over-the-top monster heel personality, and then she just flattens people. And, eh. See what I'm saying? Just like she flattens catering. No, uh, I mean, count hey, down until Rhea Ripley is a broken rib. No matter how safe she is or isn't, these bonsai drops cannot go easy on a person. I don't know. We'll see. Well, and I'm more worried about the the upper frontal protuberances than the ribs because that can't be healthy. They're going to get her out of the way before WrestleMania, right? WrestleMania will be Rhea against either Becky or... It's, the other thing is Becky, yes. So the refrigerator is the elimination chamber, but and in Rhea's home country, so she'll obviously be the favorite, but just I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Before we skip over it, did you watch Ivar and Valerie Halla against Tazawa and Model Girl in the mixed tag? I did not until I saw people on Twitter sending me comments saying you have to see this match. If it had taken place a few years ago, it would be a candidate for the worst match ever, but now it's just, you got to <laughs> see how bad it is. Specifically, <laughs> Model Girl. Well, and, and the first thing, I don't know what the fascination is with Tazawa. He's smaller than both the girls. But I started to fast forward and I couldn't because it was immediate. She fucked up everything that she attempted and she's not ready for developmental. I wouldn't have put her on OVW television. It's a disservice to her because people are laughing at her now. 
but she botched the spot. She's her shit looks fake. The timing sucks. The expression on her face is one of she's concentrating on something that is absolutely confused and bum fuzzled her. And you can tell. She's just not getting it. I don't know. Did she want to be a wrestler or was she one of these people that they they got because she was a model and tried to teach her how to wrestle? Or what what's happened here? I don't know her background. I'll see what we can find out very quickly, but she did the Muda hamspring. <laughs> <laughs> hamspring? Did you say hamspring? Well, excuse me, I'm, I'm laughing already about it. She did the <laughs> No, I saw it. She did the mood answering elbow, but like it was no elbow. It was just like she did the flips and then she like stopped a little bit before the rope and just like kind of ran back a little bit. Well, she looked and she, she did a beautiful handspring and then she stopped and she wasn't near the girl and she turned around and looked over <laughs> her shoulder and then kind of stutter stepped backwards. Beep, 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 beep. And I don't. I don't know. I mean, I guess she was a cheerleader or a gymnast or she's a very athletic young lady. I guess they hired her in the group because she was with poor old L.A. Knight when he was sentenced to be Max Dupree, right? She was Maxine, so she was supposed to be a model. She looks like a model. She don't look like a wrestler. In August of 2021, she participated in a WWE tryout in Las Vegas, Nevada and became one of 14 attendees to earn a contract with the company. Was Kevin Dunn or John Laurinaitis at that uh, tryout? August 2021. Did Laurinaitis lose his job in 2022? I believe so, yeah. So he, (laughs) I told you, he sent a couple of the lingerie models to OVW back in the mid-2000s that literally got faint and had to sit down from running the ropes a couple of times that they had never, I don't know if they'd ever seen wrestling. He found them in lingerie catalogs and called their fucking agent to get him a tryout. That's where his head was at. Maxine Dupree used to be a cheerleader for the Los Angeles Rams and a dancer for the Phoenix Suns. Well, there you go. Did the Rams ever call her in on fourth down plays? Goal to go. We got to get Maxine in here. She'll save us. The ratings would go up. What the hell are the Rams doing? I can't believe this. Call your friends. Well, if TKO ever buys the Los Angeles Rams, and we know already we got a crossover superstar. What was her... Oh, this is interesting. I didn't know this. What was her ring name before they gave her Maxine Dupree? I don't know. Tits McGee. Sophia Cromwell. <laughs> Sophia Cromwell? That's a good name. Sounds like a fucking Italian movie star married a fucking contractor from Massachusetts. It sounds like she should have been working for NXT UK with that name. <laughs> Sophia! Sophia! Cromwell! All right. Well, it, 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 and, and her little fucking manager, Oliver. See what I did there? I know my history. Didn't he cut somebody's head off? Some There was some beheading involved in the Cromwell. They signed her in August 2021. Her debut was March 22nd, 2022. <laughs> Ooh. Well, um, I'll tell you what. It's, it's now almost March 2024. And 
I don't think that there was ever any student that we had in OVW that was performing like this after two years or two and a half years of training. Frame-wise, do you worry about someone, whether they're talented or not, if they have that kind of frame? She doesn't have a lot of meat on her bones. She's tall and slender when it comes to taking bumps and stuff. Well, I mean... (laughs) Everybody's different. You wouldn't think that a lot of the the men in the business in history should have taken the bumps that they took or been able to do some of the things that they did. And and but at the same time, no, she just she doesn't have particularly the frame to be a not only believable but to be a wrestler because there's so little weight distributed over so long of an area she's like one of the little she can't move the ropes when she hits them when she takes a bump on the mat it goes poof it's just there's no force behind anything she can do some nice cartwheels and i encourage her to keep doing things like that in another line of work anyway moving along from model girl we got other things to talk about the heart to heart talks with the judgment day members where they're just having the casual conversation about their plans and who they are supposed to be taken care of and everything. Is this something that's getting them less over as, as individuals than they were before? Even, even Dominic now, they still like to boo him, but he's just standing around. The Judgment Day went from being the big thing on Raw, involved in all the main stuff, kind of like the bloodline of Raw, to being the upper mid-card, sometimes comedy afterthought on Raw with everything else going on. They make and they make it multiple segments, but it's going to be a comedy segment, a bad backstage drama segment, and nothing that puts anyone in that group over as being on the level of the serious main eventers. And, and that's what this was here, because Truth came in and they had to do the stagey repartee, and then... They let him hang out in their clubhouse, wherever that is. Then he finds the T-shirts and gets an idea. And then we go to J.D. Funko versus The Miz. And if, uh, I'll, I'll skip ahead and be the spoiler. J.D.'s about to put Miz away, but Truth comes out and starts throwing out all the T-shirts that he found for free to the people. And then they have more match. And... Finally, our truth is there and hands JD about ten grand. Now, how, where do you get this money when he was just throwing them out to people at random when he came out? But now he's got this giant stack of hundred dollar bills that he's picked up wherever the fuck. And as he hands JD the ten grand or whatever it is, Miz hits his finish from behind. One, two, three. Money, so, money goes flying in the air. Money goes flying in the air. And again, I remain pissed off that not a motherfucker went for a grab for one of those bills. And it looks like $10,000. But for me, for $198 and $1 bills, I had to get sucker punched in Memphis that night. And so, uh, truth, it, it's he. yes, I understand what you say. He's good at what he does. If you're going to do complete Gilligan's Island type comedy where nothing can be taken seriously. He's doing it well, but it just makes everybody involved look like complete idiots. Doesn't it? 
in the judgment day. Again, they've become kind of an afterthought. Rhea hasn't, but her segments now are just really about Rhea dealing with Nia Jax or Becky or whoever. She shows up every now and then in the back for these judgment day things, and then she's busy doing other things. And she was the biggest star in that group. Eh, I mean, Eh. maybe what would help them would be a good night's sleep. You know, I never thought of it that way. But maybe if they if they laid their head down and got a good night's sleep, they could dream about something to make people take them a little more seriously and start doing that. Is that you know, as a matter of fact, if you go right now, folks, to helixsleep.com, that's where you gotta go. Helixsleep.com, you're gonna find out that not only do they have mattresses for People who like sleep on their side or on their back or on their stomach or big and tall people or portly and stout and morbidly obese people or children or amputees. They've got mattresses for everybody. Mattresses they for also, everybody. We don't need to distinguish yes, who everybody well, is. We 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 got to name all these subgroups because people give you a shout out to people out there, the sick and shut-ins, people that need the mattresses the most. They can't get out to a normal mattress store and hop up and down and Test out the mattresses. If you're sick and shut in on a mattress at home, you need another mattress delivered to your home. Or if you're like one of the people we were talking about before and you need to think seriously when you're asleep, go to helixsleep.com right now and and pick out one of the mattresses for people who like to think seriously when they sleep. Because Helix has all these kind of mattresses. They've got the Helix Elite Collection. The elite is, I was thinking luxurious, I was thinking high-priced, I was thinking supreme, but I didn't think about elite because it has negative connotations around the wrestling industry, but they have the elite collection over at Elite. At at Elite, elite. yes. She's a wonderful lady. That includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. So... If you're a serious sleeper, just put that down on the little quiz. Let's say you want to be able to, what, what, what kind of dreams do you want to have? You take a quiz and they'll ask you things like this. How do you sleep? What position? You like soft or firm? Are you corpulently, morbidly obese? Or are you a little skinny, skeletal person? How much stuffing do we have to put in this thing? That kind of question. Are you a skeletal person? Yes. Really? Okay. A very bony person doesn't need as much stuffing, see? But it's if, if you're a big fat son of a bitch, then they got to put more stuffing in or you'll wear down until it'll look like fucking, you know, uh, Mrs. Bates's mattress in, in, at the fucking Bates Motel. No. So they got to put extra stuffing in for fat people. Well, no, again, the point it, is, you know, it, no it, matter it's, who a mattress you are. for fat people is like an, a, a private plane for fat people. When they're getting on the airplane, they ask, how much do you weigh so we can figure out how, how much fuel to put in? You Just fill it up. Again, they have mattresses for everybody, no matter who you are, your age, your weight, anything. Yes. Great mattresses. Don't worry about what they're going to put in it. They're going to take care of you and what you need on your mattress to get a good night's sleep. Isn't that right, Jim? 
You know, there's asbestos in some mattresses. There is no, no, there is none no, of that. No, there, there is. Sleep. There truly is. The, the people at Helix told me some of these mattress companies, they put asbestos and shit no, in there. Stop. There's nothing the like that. The people at Helix never said that to you, and there's no, there's none of that in the Helix no, sleep mattresses. No, it's, it's been in the news. It's been in the news. You may have seen on social media or in the news recently, there's been a number of health issues and lawsuits related to Oh, it's fiberglass. I thought it was asbestos. Well, nevertheless, whether you, do you want to sleep on fiberglass or asbestos? Either one. No, you don't. Well, Helix doesn't have that because they manufacture everything here in America where we've got good old-fashioned American-made toxic waste that gives you all kinds of cancers. Once again, let's, let's this... talk about these fine mattresses and not have to worry yes. about any of these other things. These mattresses, you can get a good night rest and a good night's sleep and just a nap whenever you need it. It's there. Yes. Or if you need your mattress for something else, if you're one of the few of us that have happy marriages, then you might need your mattress for something else. You know, they say many people say that they experience pleas more pleasant relations on a Helix sleep mattress than the other mattresses because there's not that fiberglass. So they're well, not cutting their knees and elbows. Again, this is not necessarily a statistic we have, so let's not quote a statistic it's we don't have. It's anecdotal. Okay, Colin. Uh, anecdotally, why don't we talk about <laughs> where people can get these fine mattresses? Anecdotally? You can go to, and your pet can sleep on the mattresses. Oh, you don't know, get one of the kids' mattress for your for your pets, your dogs or cats, because the kids and the dogs are about the same size. No, dogs are nicer and they don't cause less trouble. Well, again, no, but uh... but that way your your pet would be sleeping on the same thing you're sleeping on, and there would be a bond amongst the family. But right now, what you can do. To do all of these things and not sleep with your face buried in a big fucking bunch of asbestos is go right now to helixsleep.com slash JCE and use the code. You may need to write this down. I'll wait till you get a pen and a piece of paper. Now, use the code HELIXPARTNER20, H-E-L-I-X, PARTNER20. Twenty. Some people spell partner P-A-R-D-N-E-R. -E did you know that? Because you know partner, but it's actually partner because you're you're nerd to their parts. That's where the root of the terminology comes from. So Helix Partner Twenty at HelixSleep.com/jce, you're going to get twenty percent off all the mattresses and two free pillows. And I believe if you order two mattresses. You would get four free pillows and, well, you'd get 20% off each mattress, which would total 40%. So it'll go up exponentially for there. I think by the time you order five mattresses, you're getting them all for free and 10 pillows. So you can start your own flop house. Did I do that math right? You got to order five mattresses to get the 10 free pillows and to get it 100% free of charge I of any cost to you i don't think you've done any of this right because each one is 20 percent off and two free pillows once again jim how can the listeners get this great mattress that after all the fun and games of jim Cornette, they may need a good night rest if they have a co-host who's giving them heart palpitations where can they go to get this fine mattress that's helixsleep.com slash JCE and use the code HELIXPARTNER20 and you'll be a partner of Helix, whether you're 20 years old or not. That's right, Helix Sleep. 
a fine mattress, but we have to wake up and finish Raw because we have to keep moving on. There's so much to go over. Well, in that case, here it comes. Oh, and by the way, they did do a brief package on Punk's surgery. Uh, at the hospital afterwards, comments on his rehab. You see him in the, you know, in the apparatus they give you and everything. And he gave the line, his comeback will be the greatest of all time. And he's had like fucking three or four comebacks here in the last two years. He's got a top now. So he's, he's got some practice at it, but, uh, he has made that, that bold claim. So we will see what's going on. And then we got to the big celebration for our boy Gunther, 600 days as the Intercontinental Champion at the 10 o'clock hour. He gets the big introduction from Kaiser, who is brilliant at this. And here comes Gunther, and he's running out of competition. Nobody can challenge him. Who can challenge him? Who? Well, and then here comes Uso's music. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. Because I'm thinking if Brock wasn't a f complete fucking idiot, we could have had Brock against Gunther. And now it looks like we're getting Uso against Gunther. And we've talked about the people love Jay Uso. He does the entrance and the rigmarole and the whole nine yards. And the people are you know, happy to see him, but do you look forward to any of his matches? I don't know. Yeah. So the, the people are yeeting for Jay as he tells Gunther how much he respects him and et cetera. And then Gunther puts Jay over as a great tag team guy, greatest tag team, blah, blah, blah. That means you only had to put in 50% of the work, but I did all the work on my own. And I'm thinking, you know, the only thing that would add to Gunther and, and his Imperium Stooges is if we could get, like, Peter Lorre in his prime to come out and be like his Prince Nana and just stand there and smirk and rub his hands together. But anyway, um, this is where Jay put himself over and kind of challenged Gunther and Gunther is a great heel promo, as we've said, and he tells Jay that he's going to beat his ass, and then Jay jumps Gunther, and the heels jump Jay, and the New Day save him, and the heels bail out. So if we're not getting this at WrestleMania, apparently there, there's more to be had between Jay and Gunther, and so we got that to just look forward to. I love Gunther. But eh. eh. I don't disagree with you. I mean, you want him to do something that's like a step up already. And no disrespect to Jay Uso, but he's kind of lost in the shuffle right now. They took him away from the bloodline. They put him on this show. He's an established babyface. He was at times the most over babyface on the show. But when you look at everything happening, he's lost in the shuffle. Well, it's. <sighs> It's kind of like he was in a he was in a position where because of the bloodline thing he was over and because of the way that they did that, when he was taken away from the bloodline, okay, what's going to be different necessarily that he's doing as a single? And honestly, when when he became a single, now he's got to 
when the Usos were a tag, they had to ha hang with the mid-card guys that they put in tag matches. But now that he's a single, he's got to be viewed in the same lens as the Drews and the L.A. Knights and the Cody's and the Sess and, and on and on and on. And, you know, it, it, he kind of works the same and he kind of looks the same and he yeets, but he ain't doing, you know, individual shit at their level, is he? No. Well, <laughs> and then occasionally the cake doesn't quite rise. But speaking of yeast not rising, there's a transition there somewhere. The women's tag team title was on the line with uh, Chance and Carter against Carrie and Oscar, and the referee was the only one in the match over five feet tall. I don't think they changed the, the belts, did they? Uh, no. The Kabuki Warriors good, are good. still the tag team champions. Well, I would it'd break my heart if they lost those belts. Sami Zayn is another guy that may be kind of in the Jey Uso position because remember a year ago, he was challenging for the title and people were saying that he ought to beat Roman Reigns. He ought to be the one to beat Roman Reigns in Montreal. What a moment that would be. And how much business would we sacrifice over the next fucking four years or whatever? Um, but they did a sit-down interview with him talking about Drew McIntyre and overall his last year, and he wants to prove he's a main eventer because they're acknowledging that he's the same position that Jay is in when it was him and Owens and the Usos and the story with the bloodline and the babyfaces and the, et cetera. It, you know, the sum of the whole was greater parts or whatever. It covered up everybody's weak points as far as hanging with the, the top main event level singles talent when the teams were over. But, uh, you know, Sam, Sammy was, Sammy Zayn can talk and he very, he sounded genuine here. And as we've said, he can work his ass off. He looks physically and, you know, just visually like blah, but he's got that every man appeal. But he's not going to be the face of the company and he's not going to be in a singles main event at WrestleMania. And so he rode that wave of popularity based on the great work that he did and the promos and the reactions and the matches and the whole nine yards, but also the position he was put in with everybody else he was reacting to. That was their little mini movie that culminated with him getting the chance and falling just short. And then... He and Owens were, you know, separated, and he's going back to where normally and for a long period of time he can be in the upper middle. But, you know, and, and people like him, so you can use him in the mix with the top singles guys, but he's not going to be continually on an ongoing basis challenging for any of the multiple world titles as a single. That doesn't even disrespect him or his ability, does it not, what I just said? It does not. See, I can be fucking nice every once in a while. But I'm not going to be about the main event. Brian, was this the worst bull rope match you've ever seen? It was the same bull rope that Dusty Rhodes used when he invented the bull rope match, they said on commentary. 
Well, I didn't say it was the worst bull rope. I said it's the worst bull rope match because you almost didn't see any of it to begin with. And then with the limitations, and then the the apparently Shaky doesn't get the fucking concept, which I know, you know, he's probably not been in one before, but nevertheless, it was Cody Rhodes and our friend Shaky Nakamura in the heavily promoted bull rope match. They're using Dusty Rhodes' bull rope from the 70s. And I think there was what? There was four or five. There was under 10 minutes of it on the air. They started, for once at least, the entrance from the start of the entrances to the bell was only four minutes on Raw. I was like, holy shit, it's a special match. They're going to get into it. Here we go. And they start out with a fight, and they go a minute, and they went to the break. And I'm like, I swear to God. And by the time they come back, I'm thinking, okay, well, we've still got 10 minutes on the air, whatever it is. And Cody's in control, goes for the Cody cutter, shaky, jerks him down, starts getting some heat. And it sounds better than it looked, because it was lackluster, slow-paced heat, I don't think. Nakamura was understanding potentially how you could use the bull rope. It was, there was a lot of stomping going on. And Cody fought back and got a figure four and Nakamura broke it and they went to the break again after only like four minutes of this thing. And by the time they come back, there's five minutes left on the air and Cody's making a comeback. And he hit a version of a Cody cutter because Nakamura went, fell backwards somehow on the Cody cutter. I don't know. And then Nakamura jumps up and whiffs a Pele kick right past Cody's head, which Cody sold like death. I don't. And Nakamura tried to do his regular shit while he was tied to a bull rope. As New Jack would say, chained in the bowels of a slave ship. He's trying to do the baseball slide under in the German suplex thing that he, well, he's tied to the fucking bull rope. And finally, for the first time ever in the match, as far as I could tell, Cody went to use the cowbell. Nobody had touched the cowbell. Nobody hit anybody with the cowbell. They couldn't get juice. But the cowbell's part of the thing. So he goes to use the cowbell, and Nakamura blows the red mist in his face. And But while Cody is blind, he grabs Nakamura and hits the crossroads and gets a two count. And then Nakamura grabs the bell and uses sloppy kind of half-assed bell shots instead of, you know, one good one. And then Cody crotched Nakamura with the rope as the spot goes where he jerks it and the things between the guy's legs but it took two of them for Nakamura to figure out do the fucking flip frontwards dipshit and then Cody hit the crossroads one two three so there was under 10 minutes of the match on the air there was no blood they barely used the bell Nakamura continues his streak of being rotten and poor Cody, yes, he won a bull rope match, but it was it didn't do anything to help the bull rope match get over, did it? No. I mean, the bull rope match more than likely isn't going to get over. It's a thing that really 
I don't know. They still use it, but I never thought They still it. have bulls. They still do, but you know, it's like one of those things that I think made a lot more sense years ago than now, but as a gimmick match for a Raw main event with someone whose program Cody's kind of finished with, eh. And at least with the mist, it looked like he had blood because it was red. Well, so if you yeah. tuned in late, it's like, <laughs> man, Cody's been bleeding all over the place. No, it's Nakamura's spit. But I guess that's the end of Cody and Nakamura. Now he could, uh, there's another guy kind of lost in the upper mid card. We'll see what they do. But here's the, uh, and again, you, you say the bull rope is a match that's not going to get over. And somebody's like, oh, Cornette's so out of touch. No, any match from any period can get over. Yes. If it's given context and fits either the situation, the individuals involved in it, or both. Which happens for an elimination chamber or war games does not happen for a bull rope match or a stipulation match that just appears on Raw or even AEW TV. Of course, right. AEW TV. But and 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 I'll give you an example of how you here would be the perfect way if it ever happened to get the bull rope match over again if there was ever because it started obviously Dusty's fascination with cowboys, but. But he wasn't the first, you know, fucking person to come up with the idea of left wrist to left wrist with anything, uh, whether it be strap or chain or whatever. Russians were f known for chains for whatever reason. And the Indian strap match, because you saw it on television. But if they would ever, they have crossover athletes all the time. If you ever found an athlete or even a like a Logan Paul, a celebrity or crossover person that had done professional rodeo because the highlights you could get, those fucking bulls are fucking mean. And the way they ride the goddamn bucking Broncos and all the shit, they fuck themselves up. If you even had a guy that had trained to wrestle that had done pro rodeo riding at a low level and got some highlights and he got halfway over, his specialty could be the bull rope match and he could get it over. But, the, but we've lost complete sight on every stipulation and gimmick of why that it originally got over. It wasn't just because of the rules or the stipulations, but in a lot of cases it was the person doing it because of their backstory and their gimmick and their background and the stories that have been told about them whether they were a cowboy or an Indian or a Russian or a fucking Ugandan giant or whatever the fuck. And, and that led to the match rules or stipulations. And now they just say, well, we'll put Brian Last and Jim Cornette in a goddamn Russian death match. Neither one of them's Russian, but it's a cool fucking match. And it doesn't work. Am I doing an editorial here, or are you still there? That was WWE Monday Night Raw. Again, there's still so much to cover, but why don't we knock out the WWE programming that we're going to talk about today? Because Raw was Raw. Good segment or two. A lot of other stuff you sit through, hoping there'll be more. In this case, there wasn't this week. There wasn't more. But WWE did a WrestleMania 40 kickoff show. They said press conference. There was no press asking questions. <laughs> In Las Vegas, the week of the Super Bowl, a few thousand people showed up for free to see this. And I have to say, 
it was better than any episode of Monday Night Raw. WWE should consider doing this as a weekly show, a live yes. press conference like this. Well, you know what? Because it was only like an hour and 15 minutes long, and there were no commercials. And so we got the interviews from the main event talent. We didn't have to sit through the bad matches. And, and shit went on. But this was like the... Remember we've talked about it, the Lawler-Dundee special one hour, and in the Memphis case, one and a half hour television program they did before that that loser-leave-town match they did in June of 83. Yeah. In that it was just the two participants sitting and promoing it, talking to each other about it, and showing, you know, clips from their various rivalries in the past uh, as promotional material. And the the press conference, like you said, there were press there. They just didn't ask any questions. And otherwise, it was people that, you know, as you said, came for free to the, the big arena there on the theory that I guess it would be it would be easier to draw a live crowd, even to see The Rock and all the top wrestling stars and everything for free if it wasn't Las Vegas. They're used to seeing Wayne Newton walk down the fucking street, right? So it's it's they're a little harder audience. Well, again, it's something that I mean I don't know how much in in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, they would have drawn a huge crowd. Again, I don't know how many people would walk into a room to see The Rock if he's just going to be doing his thing. If you're not a fan of wrestling, that's a big question. But the <laughs> other thing is, how much advance notice was there? Because I didn't hear too much about this until they just announced it on TV. It's coming up this week. We'll find out what's happening. Yeah, no, I'm fucking with them. There there was not a lot of. Uh, advance notice to this so people just yeah they said well we'll go down and see what's going on good idea if the super bowl is happening someplace and you know that for that week you're gonna have fans from all over the world coming into town good idea for wwe to go to town and do something um i don't i don't know that they couldn't have done this in any other major city in the country they could have done they probably could have done more people in new york um, I don't know if it had it. Maybe that was the concept they had that, oh, the Super Bowl. But it didn't look like all the media is there. If you've gone to, well, we're, none of the media got to ask any questions. And did they, did any of the, did any media cover this that wouldn't normally cover something like this that the WWE did? Did this get extraordinary or extraneous or unusual amounts of re regular mainstream media coverage. Uh, this got the usual coverage from wrestle hugs and uh, wrestle smile. <laughs> wrestle kisses. Grapple kiss. That, that's what I'm saying. Remember the thing they did in, in Boston with Tyson and DX and everything before WrestleMania, whatever number that was in 98. Um, they had a couple thousand people show up there. It was a goddamn was not as well controlled as this. It was a fucking mob scene. But I think they could have done in any major city, Chicago, New York, you know, whatever they could have done what they did here on any weekend, just on their, the power of their television, their names. They had a couple thousand people there. I think they could do that. I don't know the Super Bowl contributed is what I'm saying to answer your question. Hey, let me say a compliment for someone I always kill for his awful work. This is the setting where Michael Cole actually works really well. Yes. And, and he's not, not only is he not being overproduced in his ear by either Kevin Dunn or the evil madman, 
but also this is a kind of a more sports oriented, laid back, sporting hosting talk before the event show type of thing. He's he's good with that. He wasn't trained to do these things a specifically opposite way. And Pat McAfee's good with this. And Big E, it looks like they may, might be trying out. You know, he's uh, still not come back from the neck injury, and he's not said whether he's made his decision he's going to or not. So they may be trying him out as a you know, commentator, interviewer, personality to do these type of shows. And then they brought Punk in, which led to a couple of inside jokes, probably for you know, a, a small portion of the audience, including us. But I, that's obviously, we talked about it. You know, Punk's already done commentary for one of these smaller MMA groups, and he's got background in UFC, and he's glib as fuck. And we talk, we answered the question, or you asked me the question, should Punk do commentary and he's back? And I said, I don't know if he'd should jump into it right away and be on TV every fucking week when he's just got hurt and it might get old before he's ready to come back. But on stuff like this, and then when he is ready, that's a perfect way to get him back involved in the mix somehow because he can, and eventually when Father Time works on him, he can be the crossover guy that can do expert commentary on a UFC or a WWE event. So anyway, the the meat of the matter was the 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 main event thing. But to get there, they had Triple H do the you know rah rah speech, and and Heyman did a great promo in the back. It was kind of a pre tape thing, but basically Triple H they introduced him, and he gave the history of WrestleMania from number one all the way through all these names, blah, 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 gave a rah-rah speech. And There's one big name he didn't mention. There's one well, name yes. that has always been considered a, a name to be mentioned at WrestleMania that no one mentioned at all at this event. No. And that's the question I was about to ask you. Was Triple H really heavy at the end on, it's a new company, it's a new era, it's an all new, WWE with new people involved. Nobody here has fucking done evil things like you've heard. It almost sounded like that, didn't it? He should just come out and say, only one woman in this company has ever seen my dick. Just one. And that's my wife. That would go a long way, too. Well, now, hold on. Because <laughs> we have to think, well, now... <laughs> No, I, I'm not alluding to anything, and either are you, but... No, I'm just I'm just thinking, if nothing else, then remember all the times DX used to pull their pants down and get censored. Oh, that's how true. Many, that's true. How many female production people... Uh, the Jennifer Good, I guess, is long he's, gone. She used to work in the office he, or in the production company. Yeah, he's in a rough position because he's still out there in the face of the company, and the company still hasn't really said anything about Vince, the one thing about all this rock stuff was it took a lot of the attention away from Vince because that was the overwhelming thing on top of everything, and that was the Royal Rumble weekend. You know, it's a new company. Maybe get rid of the tagline, Together Forever. That may not <laughs> work anymore. That was a Vince thing, I believe. Let's get rid of Together Forever. Or forever Together. Like, we want to forever be separated, maybe, Vince. Yeah, we 
We'd like to be separated right when you cross the county line to Rikers Island. We'd like to be. You know, the other thing is, in a lot of respects, and there's still have to, you know, there's still a reckoning to come for everything that happened in the past. It does feel like a new company. The way they're dealing with things, the small changes to production, the way stars are being presented, the kind of deals that some guys are getting structured. Yeah. The ownership, obviously, the flywheel, the people who are in charge. <laughs> It is a new company. And, you know, Vince still has shares, so he's not completely gone away. But the belief is that he doesn't have enough shares to be a problem or to. Well, but really no, but hold anything. on. I have shares in some companies, but I don't have enough shares to where, whether I'm here or not, they would ever say, well, he's gone away. He owns 12% of the thing, but there are entities that are put in place that own. More of that, he can't force his way back on the board. He can't, I mean, he can he can call anybody on the phone, I guess, and say anything he wants to to him, but they don't have to listen to him anymore, right? I guess. Wouldn't that be something? If Vince is calling again, tell him I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> I tell him I'm treating women respectfully over here. That's very interesting. But again, <sighs> but again, Triple H, he's still there. He is, in a lot of ways, the face of the company, the Dana White of WWE. And obviously, it's going to play into all this stuff with The Rock. That seems rather apparent now. But they do need to kind of, in multiple ways, show that it's a new company, be a new company. And a lot of the things that they're doing are looking in that direction, but they still have to answer for a lot of things. The new new company has to answer for a lot of things. Yeah, such as, you know, how did you tolerate his presence over the last year uh, when you didn't necessarily have to, depending on what you knew? Or But now we're finding out that not only maybe TKO or Endeavor or whoever was supposed to know these things didn't know these things. Apparently, and we'll get to that later on, uh, in our apparently now weekly Vince segment, Vince had these agreements drawn up the NDA with Janelle Grant, and I know I'm getting off on a side topic here. We'll talk about it again. Remind me to bring it up. But there were three copies of it. One for her, one for him, and one for the WWE. He never signed the copy that she got. She signed all of them. Then he privately signed the one that covered him and signed the, the one that covered the WWE and put those away without telling the WWE that they existed. Did you, have you read about this? I saw something about that. Yeah. So what the fuck can Kabuki ish bullshit even. And then he, he, he didn't sign her copy of the NDA, but he sent the first million dollar payment. And then apparently had done this, this other uh, under-the-table paperwork to say if anything ever came of it, he could produce an NDA that she couldn't talk about the WWE and an NDA that she couldn't talk about him. But the WWE didn't even know that they existed. And, uh, all right, anyway. Can you imagine the first time, like, after any of these people heard these stories about Vince, like, oh, my God, I'll never see him the same way again. Anyone who didn't know. And then the next time he walks in the room, he's got that new look. Like, oh my God, he's really doubling down and leaning into this, isn't he? Well, speaking of doubling down and leaning in, let's get finished with Triple H because he did the all new thing uh, numerously. And then 
Did you notice <laughs> the dramatic milk that he did for his Are You Ready? Are You Ready? And the dramatic, it just looked like he had, it looked like he was Mitch McConnell from a few months ago. He just froze up at the press conference. He was just standing there. He was dramatic milking, but the people that came didn't know what he was milking. And then the Are You Ready was, it got tepid response and you ain't seen nothing yet got me so whenever someone says you ain't seen nothing yet it's like the last time you see him on tv or they're gone like two weeks later roddy piper did that once at the hall of fame you ain't seen nothing yet and then like we never saw him again (laughs) and beside the reason why that line is famous was because it came right after people had seen the first sound motion fucking picture scene and and they really hadn't seen anything before that, really. But now we've all seen a lot of something. So you can't really just say that, just bandy that phrase. You ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, we've seen way too much shit by now. Sound, that was a big fucking deal. Now we've been bombarded. You ain't read nothing yet. When do we hear what we're going to read next? Yes. So I know they brought Bianca out and... They did some other stuff, but I had to skip to the main event business. Are you mad at me because I missed out on on Rhea and Becky arguing with each other? No, it was all right, but I think everyone was kind of tuning in for the same thing, and this was kind of the stuff leading up to it, but it was one hour, so it kind of all worked, and it wasn't anything yet. I I watched it. I didn't leave. Yeah. If it was a two-hour thing, I may not have, but it was good. I like them doing this. It's so much better than just doing these weird segments on Raw. Them face-to-face on a stage works better sometimes than doing prearranged stuff in a ring. So I thought this was good. Well, then finally, we got to what we had all been waiting for, the main event of the main event. The main event of the press conference to determine the main event, even though there was no press conferring. Seth comes out, and he calls out Cody to make his decision that he's been demanding and he gets Roman instead. And there's Seth and Roman go face to face. And I was thinking at this point, Plumber Moxley must be ready to jump off the bridge between Kentucky and Ohio. No way. I'm going face to face with Hechichero. He was in the group with these two guys. And now these two guys are the two standard bearers of the biggest company in the world. And the plumber is having bad matches with fucking outlaw talent on the B show. But I get to sit next to my wife on the plane. In fact, she doesn't take her eyes off me the whole time. Dope. I mean, that's dope that he gets to do that. I'm not talking about that's what she might be looking for. I don't want anyone to misconstrue that. <laughs> See, is that, that... <laughs> no one was construing that. <laughs> well, Anyway, so Roman <laughs> you, you mother all right. Eh. Anyway, so then Roman says, "Hey, you know what? Cody Rhodes like a lot of people when they hesitate, the moment passes, it's my decision now." And I choose the Rock and the fans boo. I'm, of course, I'm. They took more time than this, but I'm getting to the meat of the matter. 
Roman again cuts a great promo, and he seems so natural. But he's, he's they've already sloughed off Cody, and now it's he. I choose the Rock. I'm gonna fight the Rock, and the fans boo, and the Rock music plays, and the fans boo the Rock. But you could tell in this one. Here's the thing. The reason why that we believe that this was not their original plan, besides the fact that it's pretty obvious it wasn't their original plan, before Punk got hurt, before Brock became a goddamn pariah, before The Rock decided he was going to get this $30 million and decided, hey, I can save the day, whatever, they were going to go with Rock and or with Roman and Cody. And, the, and the Seth reason, and CM Punk. Yes. And the reason why that you can point back to, they have done a masterful pivot. The pivoting is about to begin here. But the only thing that they couldn't wipe out completely, they may have even left the wiggle room on purpose. I don't know. But the, the only thing they can't wipe out completely that was said on live TV was when Cody said, I am going to finish the story, but not at WrestleMania. And, you know, now they can, uh, I think they're ignoring that completely, or if they don't, <clears throat> they might try to close that loophole up with saying, well, it's not going to be completely finished or whatever the fuck. But it looks pretty obvious that's what they were going to do until the backlash made them rethink their strategy and then i think the rock with some egg on his face tried to turn as the person whose name we're not allowed to speak anymore used to say turn a negative into a positive and figure out a way where he can again say well because you know he had heavy input in this so he's probably tried to figure out the way well we can do it like this and it's like we meant to do it all along, and I'll be a heel. Because now he gets a chance to, I mean, every great star, or actor, or wrestling star, whatever, at one point wants to be the villain. So he gets to do that, but it wasn't what they were originally expectifying. No, and we'll go into the different theories later on, but they did hear what the smartest thing to do for professional wrestling is. Lean into what's working. Despite, yes. And this is something that WWE traditionally has not done well. They've ignored fan reaction because they have a story they want to get to their way. They leaned into what was, I mean, as hot a wrestling chatter online as there was. I mean, the interest in this stuff blew up. So they could have screwed it up. Instead, they made everything better on this event, this WrestleMania kickoff. I mean, I'll let you go back to reviewing it, but they leaned into it, they pivoted, and they did everything right. Well, you could tell that Rock was coming out with a completely different objective because of the expression on his face and the way he walked out on this one as opposed to the previous what... Uh, as he as he appeared twice now. Surprise pops. It? The two surprise pops he yeah. got. Yeah. Well, but also, and this wasn't even a real, I won't say a real crowd, but this wasn't a 
ticket purchasing crowd at a house show or a TV taping. This was a last minute thing put together and there were a lot of rock chants more than there were when the ticket purchasing patrons were involved. So you couldn't get a, you can't do a, you know, fair comparison, but just his, as Howard Finkel, bless him, used to say, his demeanor, the expression on his face, his body language, the way he walked and moved, from the start when he came out and the way he was reacting to the booze. You could tell that he was out there. His objective was to, he knew he was going to slap Cody in the face. He wanted him to boo, but he wanted to show that he was getting more and more ticked off by this disrespect that he was getting, not only from the people, but then when it came from Cody, is his motivation if he's done the a acting lessons, right? That was his motivation for his character. But it, he did a great job of it because last week he came out and showed his arm on the camera on, on the handheld where he had goosebumps from the cheers of all the people. And now they're booing him and he's getting surly about it. So this was when they had, between last Friday night and what and the stuff that happened over the weekend, then Monday's reactions, they had put this together. And now this he knew this is what he had to fucking do. And wherever they're going from here, as you said, a lot better fucking than we thought we were gonna get, and we probably were gonna get. And the people were chanting, you know, uh, we want Cody. And then there, but there'd be a a smaller you know, response, we want Cody, Cody sucks. We want Cody, Co and one guy in the back, Rocky, Rocky, some fucking drunk. But it, it, it went at a snail's pace for a while because Rock was letting the people react and just milking it. And, you know, he asked if the people will Rock versus Roman Reigns be the biggest match ever, and they booed. Oh, Rock loves the passion. And he tried to talk again. They start chanting, we want Cody. And that's when he introduces everybody to the Cody crybabies. Because there is a, some segment of the audience, right, that, that likes Cody. He introduced that phrase on Pat McAfee's show where he kind of went heel and was lashing yes. out a little bit, somewhat in character at the fans. He calls them the Cody crybabies. Maybe not the most creative thing, but he's an anabolic asshole. What do you expect? <laughs> That's how you do it. But he had Gewurz there with him. He had Nick Khan with him, and he pointed them out. So they're leaning into the idea that here's the rock. They're leaning into reality. Here's the rock yeah. and all of his influence and all of his fluffers and stooges all getting hooked up. They're leaning into yeah. it, and that's smart. And, well, and boy, by the time we get to SmackDown. But, uh, and then that's when he popped the family tree up on the screen and the crowd started whatting the rock. And I'm like, this is, this is fucking great. Who would have ever thought, but he worked with it because the, the quick ones do. And the tree pops up on the screen and he said, there's only one Royal family in professional wrestling. And they showed the lineage where his and Roman's grandfather were blood brothers. Yeah, when, when did when did we ever hear that before? Have you ever heard that beginning of the story? I always heard Alpha and Sika were fans of Peter Maivia that went to the Cow Palace. 
Yes. Did you ever hear that their grandfathers made a blood oath? No. Okay. But... <laughs> I didn't even notice. Was Nef Mayava on there? He's really the person who should be at the um, top, right? Because he was the one who influenced Peter Maivia to become Peter Maivia. Neff was not invited. And for the people now, we've gone for the younger listeners. We, we're just speaking gibberish now. And taking it one at a time, Afa and Sika Anawahi were two Samoan fans in the Cow Palace days, San Francisco in the mid-60s or late, say, whenever it was, that were so not only badass, but also such huge fans of Chief Peter Maivia that they would try to beat the shit and succeed in beating the shit out of the heels on the way back from the fucking matches after hot finishes. And so finally they had to smarten them up and, and break them into the business off and seek it to keep them from killing the fucking boys. Can you imagine you wrestle Peter Maivia and as soon as you leave the ring, there's just giant Samoan fans punching you as you try to get yeah, to the locker and- room? And somebody look at look at a picture of what Afa and Sika looked like in 1972 or whatever instead of today and figure out what that would have been like. And Peter Maivia, whose real name was on the family tree, was uh, Fanina uh, Anderson, correct? Correct. And But when he got into wrestling, there had only been one really if a Samoan wrestler of any kind of fame who had been Nef Maiva spelled slightly differently, but the people who named Peter Maivia, Peter Maivia didn't know how to spell it. And it became Maivia and he got much more over anyway. And then that was when you thought of a Samoan in wrestling from the early sixties on, you thought of Peter Maivia. And apparently now maybe as a condition of maybe my via went to Afa and Sika's father and said, Hey, I'll train these fucking kids of yours and make them money in the wrestling business. If they won't kill all of our heels and you and I could be blood brothers. Yeah, maybe they also left off like 20 of soul man's kids from the uh, lineage up there. Yeah, well, there, well, there, there was the many, many illegitimate children of Rocky Johnson all over the place and legitimate. There, there was there was never any complete proof of that, was there? Uh, other than DNA um, and no, nothing, no. Well, no, you know, but uh, but well, they didn't have room on the giant Titan Tron. But nevertheless, the it's a good concept. The Anawahi getting away from my via branches. Yeah, getting away from the reality of it. It was a good for the way things went, and kind of the rock leaning into the Will Smith thing of don't say anything about my family or I'll slap you. Yeah, it made sense. Because you had to get from the Rock and Roman being at each other to them being on the same side, and it worked. And and that's the thing, is there were so many names there, and you you saw enough of them if you freeze-framed it, and I'm sure a bunch of the video technicians out there did and tried to read. It was legitimate in terms of not only a lot of the, or all of the wrestlers or wrestling connected family members but just the the rest of the family members not including everybody as you mentioned but the the official ones and down at the bottom was jacob fatu that was interesting that they included so his name because there were names that were not on there not everyone's name who had been in wrestling from that family i don't think was on there I, th- I couldn't find it. I didn't get a shot of everything. Was so Manu? I see everything. I didn't look for Manu, my favorite of uh, I, all the obscure I think ones he was. popped up. I did that. I, I thought I saw I got to check. I don't. But Jacob Fatu was 
pretty prominent because it was towards the bottom, so it was almost close to the yeah. uh, where the the head of the person talking in front of it would be. He's a free agent. I guess Booker T's helping him out. And they're saying that he wants to sign somewhere. And he can work. Oh boy, howdy. But anyway, so... New ownership may not care about legal issues the way Vince did. I mean, UFC has plenty of reprobates on their roster, don't they? Yes. Well, including the Dana White. You know, hey, honey, come here. Power slap. There's no problem there, so... Anyway, but then The Rock versus Roman Reigns is the biggest WrestleMania match ever. That's what The Rock is saying. If you don't think that, it doesn't matter what you think. Blah, blah, blah. And The Rock and Roman Reigns do the handshake and, and a slight hug. And then suddenly Cody with no music and no introduction, Cody just comes out on stage and says, no, 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 this is bullshit. This is bullshit and gets a huge fucking pop. And now suddenly that Cody has come out and is addressing him, Rock switches over and is standing on the side with Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. And Cody fires up and says, hey, the choice is mine. I won the Royal Rumble. And my decision is at WrestleMania 40, I choose Roman Reigns. And that got a big pop. And here now here comes Aldous and Pierce and Triple H are running out. And Roman has said, your old news, go to the loser bracket. Nobody cares, right? Blah, blah, blah. Rollins hanging in the back the whole time, paying attention. Seriously. Yes. And I thought that added a lot to this. And he's technically, even though he's hanging back, he's on Cody's side over there. And as, as Roman is knocking Dusty then, Cody fires back and says, hey, your family, all your family are yes men and goons. And if your grandfather or Peter Maivia would be here, they would be here now, they'd be ashamed of you. And then The Rock steps up to Cody. Oh, no, wait a minute. When you talk about his family, you're talking about mine. You talk about his blood, you're talking about my blood. So now we have a problem. And Rock hauls off and slaps Cody. That's Will, that's Will Smith. I think that's where he yes. got that from. Well, there you go. Might be the closest Rock comes to the Oscar ceremony again these days. <laughs> but I'm a bad influence on you. Well, you are, but I mean, you know, I don't know he's going to get nominated for this work, but it's going to draw some money. But so that he slaps Cody and everybody reacts and Heyman was fucking, they got freeze frames on Twitter of Heyman's face. It was incredible. And so now then they're trying to hold Cody back and he's taken out and Seth leaves, you know, with him and rock stays out on the stage with Roman and Paul and they go to, the announcers to try to make sense of this. And did you notice that Big E said, I don't know, what, what are we trying to set up here? A, a tag? And all of a sudden you see on his face, somebody told him in his ear, shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck up. Or you're fucking fired. Because they didn't want to lead him down that road yet. So there is no more mention of that. But I love it when he, because he hasn't had any experience with me. What are we trying to build here? 
I thought Big E was kind of really good on this because he was reacting almost as if there was no headset for everything the whole time they asked him. He was giving real reactions or real thoughts, or at least they seemed like it. So it was really well, yeah, effective. Well, yeah, in this case, he really was confused. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what the fuck was going on? And Triple H set up the tag match at the very beginning when he was going over the history of the first WrestleMania and how it was a tag match there. And the other thing about the desk, McAfee was fine. Michael Cole did really well. At the very end, especially, CM Punk stole the show <laughs> because of two things. One, CM Punk talking about how if someone slapped you, I would punch him right in the face. And The yes. Rock is in the background on the stage without a microphone. <laughs> and you see his reaction instantly when he hears what Punk says. And then he, you just see him mouthing things at Punk. It was amazing. It was so good. And then Punk talking about his theories of punching people in the face. <laughs> well, yeah, because because now they're saying, well, hey, you know, The Rock's on the board of directors. You know, he technically, he's, uh, the you know, the boss of it. And Punk says, well, I don't care if it's me. <laughs> As somebody fucking slaps me, if it's my boss, I'm whipping everybody's ass. Oh, my God. That was, again, for the, for the fans, for those who know, they know. So Punk was but, really good. I thought the panel was really good, and it worked well the way they used it, but that wasn't the end because then we get Triple H in the back. Well, and that's the thing is the panel is killing time, and you think they're wrapping up, and then they do go to Triple H in the back, the ramp leading to you know the parking area, whatever. And right as he started to talk, well, you know, you've got these guys are just they've just lost control. Here comes Rock and Roman and Heyman walking together, well, Heyman toadying in the back, and they pass Triple H, and The Rock says, fix it, fix this, or we will. And there was some, he said, some fucking guy, he used the F word, and they bleeped that. And, and you know, and they walk off together. So now it's Rock and Roman in some kind of super tribal summit and he has slapped Cody Rhodes in the face. We have been promised Cody versus Roman at WrestleMania. And as we'll talk about when we get to SmackDown, the uh, they're now teasing the fact that The Rock has pull, but that there, there's uh, Triple, uh, Triple H is going to push back on the pull. And, and you got CM Punk out there saying, this was a quote, personal issues can be solved when men fight. And that's what everybody wants to see is all these fuckers fighting each other. This was a fantastic event. It left you wanting more, wanting to see what's going to happen. I will say, I hope they don't go too heavy into bad authority figure versus good authority figure. You know, I don't know how they're going to thread the needle to get to WrestleMania, but this is incredibly promising. Heel Rock, you also have to be careful he doesn't overshadow Roman. Yeah. Because how's Roman the leader of the bloodline if the Rock is right next to him, unless Rock says you're the leader? But this is great stuff. Well, they may have to still settle that later on, but in the meantime, their family has been disrespected. So and could the Rock, there be... And the Rock in a tag match, less likely to get hurt than in a singles match. There you go. But when would that tag team match be? One of the nights of WrestleMania, you would think. Well, maybe or maybe not. We don't know what the fuck's going on here, do we, for once? They're not booked for Elimination Chamber, and that's in a couple of weeks. They're not going to rush something like that, you wouldn't think. 
We'll see. I mean, we still don't know what well, I mean, any this, of the main events for WrestleMania fluid, are. It's a fluid situation. Well, we know that Roman Cody Coleman, gets Roman. That's right. Rody and Coleman. But this is a fluid situation. Roman. Yeah, wh whatever. Yes, whatever we just said. But this is a fluid situation because they're still making it up as they go along based on the last shit not working. But so far, it's fucking great. Well, Jim, that was the WrestleMania kickoff, and hopefully they do more events like that in the future. Great energy. Exciting. Everyone was talking about it. It did great numbers on YouTube Live. I think a few hundred thousand people watching it just there, not even on Peacock. And then the video of some of the important stuff was up over a couple of million by the next day. Yeah, they did a great job leaning into this, the big pivot. And speaking of big pivots, we're going to pivot right now to real time. Because right now in the real world, Jim Cornette, you've launched a new line of action figures. They are on sale. We're talking commerce. We're talking sales. Maybe other people want to launch something and have some help for commerce and sales and website and other words. Words and phrases. Jim, our friends at Shopify could be the help for many people. Yes, Shopify. If you need help, ladies and gentlemen, and many of you do then Shopify can help you out. If, if You know, can you imagine if instead of putting this WrestleMania kickoff on all these other platforms, they put it on Shopify and they sold it. Well, they'd have made a million dollars right there. More well, than a million dollars. Well, that's not necessarily how – it's not a pay-per-view, closed-circuit kind well, of thing. Well, Shopify can sell anything. They're the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Because, uh, you know, you've got with the e-commerce and the global commerce and the Commerce Bank of Beverly Hills, you've got commerce going on all over the place these days. And Shopify have carved out their corner of it. They are now leading, powering, if you will, 10% of all the e-commerce in the United States. Were you aware of that? That's an amazing figure. It's right here in the copy. Yes, it's amazing that I can read this. And... Not only that, but over in the uh, the Antilles, the Netherlands Antilles, they are about 2%, but they're gaining ground fast over it's, the it's Dutch tulip merchants that have, have <laughs> held sway over there for quite some time. <laughs> that is not in the copy, ladies and gentlemen. That 2% does not count. Well, but you know, hey, what's better than roses on a piano, tulips on an organ? And I'll tell you this, folks. Shopify's extensive help resources. Who would have thought it was the Dutch tulip merchant? <laughs> Shopify's extensive help resources are there. Yes, they are, ladies and gentlemen, and so is the Tea Time Movie Lady. To support your success every step of the way when you are launching your business or when you're expanding your business or when you're ready to retire and give this thing to your kids to fuck it all to hell. Shopify will be right there with you every step of the way. They'll help you build it, they'll help you maintain it, and they'll help your kids fuck it up. So, folks, and right now, it's never been less expensive. I can't say cheap, because that, that applies flimsiness and lack of reliability, and that's the furthest thing from the Shopify platforms that you're going to find that are supporting your business, selling your goods and services, I mean, you know, there's some people out there just don't have the selling ability. They need Shopify's help. You get people couldn't sell pussy on a troop train. But here with Shopify, you could open the biggest little whorehouse in Texas. So right now... And take it onto the tracks, apparently. 
And 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 your steam engine would come ride the little train that's rolling down the tracks to the junction. You can right now sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash J-C-E, all lowercase in the J-C-E. If it's only a dollar a month, for heaven's sake, well, then that's, that's going to raise your bottom line exponentially because a dollar is the next best thing to almost nothing. It's a dollar away from nothing at all. Why would that be so the next best thing? So go to Shopify. That could be actually a, the next big hit, a dollar away from nothing at all. Huh. That sounds like a country song. A smile is the best uniform you could wear. Well, that's what they say up north when your internet is out. But go to shopify.com slash JCE right now, dollar a month, trial period. Grow your business no matter what state you're in or stage you're in. I'm sorry. I, my stage is I need new glasses. <laughs> well, whatever stage or state you're in, look at the state of you at this stage of the game. Shopify is going to make you money, honey. And that's what we want. Da -na 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 -na. All right. Kaching. Shopify, the official Shopifying partner of the Jamie Cordes drive through. <laughs> if you want to Shopify, then no one will Shopify better than Shopify. We didn't even talk about not not just selling your own stuff anymore, but selling other people's stuff. But I don't think if we only had time. If we only had time, there's so many things to go over. And again, we're recording again tomorrow. So stay tuned to the YouTube channel. It's going to be packed with shit. Jim Phil Mushnick has weighed in on the Vince McMahon scandal. My old friend, my bosom buddy, old Phil Mushnick. He never has too much good to say about wrestling. Is he normally a happy guy? You get to read him in the newspapers up there regularly, right? I read his column in the New York Post. I read the New York Post sports section. I always have liked it. He's uh, His column is called Equal Time. It's always kind of the pessimistic, negative, most negative possible <laughs> look and it almost is like it's coming from someone from like 1945, like came over in a time machine. But he also has some funny points every now and then. Every once in a while. Well, the headline of this article here, February 8th, 2024, in the New York Post, hosting Super Bowl 2024 in crime-ridden Las Vegas, a rotten <laughs> choice by NFL. What the So that just sets the tone for what it is. When I say it's always like, you know, the most like, Punched in the gut. Look at how awful this is. So let me uh, go down a little bit. Here's the headline. Trump was warned that McMahon is sleaze. Now that most everyone knows what this column years ago investigated and reported. Oh, he's an I told you sower. That Vince McMahon is a twisted creep. <laughs> it brings to mind a phone chat I had with Donald Trump. Before he became president, as Trump was throwing in with McMahon, playing an in-ring clown during McMahon's pay-per-view and often salacious extravaganzas, <laughs> I offered Trump four large boxes of documents to show him that McMahon ran a drug and death mill and a sexually perverted operation, even indulging the employment of known pedophiles who became the target of inside jokes on McMahon's telecasts. Trump dismissed it all, rationalizing that he donates his appearance fees to charity. Ha! 
<laughs> though he sure didn't, he does. Though he didn't say how much or give the name of the charities, as if that excused his service as a McMahon attraction. And so, as Trump was inducted into McMahon's Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, his wife Linda was soon named President Trump's cabinet, or to President Trump's cabinet, excuse me. <laughs> she was named the whole cabinet. As the Secretary of Small Business, Mrs. McMahon not only participated in her husband's most vulgar skits and sales of merchandise to kids, her business acumen included t-shirts that read, Suck It! <laughs> with an arrow pointed towards the crotch. She had astonishingly been appointed to Connecticut's Board of Education. Then she claimed to have been an education major in college when she majored in French. <laughs> but who can recall wait, their college major? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> what else would you want to major in besides French if you were going to spend your life telling people to suck it? <laughs> but as Phil Mushnick says here, but who can recall their college major? It's all a con. All of it. And that's the, uh, then he goes on to, he has a problem with uh, Jason Alexander for being in a gambling commercial. And, uh, Wait a minute, George? George Costanza? Now Jason Alexander, formerly known as George Costanza, appears in TV ads pitching real stakes online poker. Of course, everyone <laughs> wins in such come-ons. Thus, Alexander <laughs> is seen raking in a skyline of stacked chips. <laughs> All right. What, so you can't do a poker commercial? I guess not. I mean, you know... It, it, Unfortunately, uh, the WWE and Vince and Linda and everybody else gave old Phil there a bunch to work with on his his little blurb there. But at the same time, he does sound like a sour doom and gloom motherfucker, doesn't he? You know, you want someone to look at all the bad shit, but if like every column, like everything he writes is negative. And I guess that's kind of his thing. Like, not even that he's a negative person, but like his gimmick, his gimmick, his job is to write the negative or look at the only the seedy side of things it's hard to really understand he's not really a media reporter because he's not like report he's just like he's a commentator i mean his column is called equal well, time that, it's, and it's people kind of accuse people accuse me and you a lot of being oh they, they just like to knock everything but we praise people and we pray we don't hate las vegas just for the sake of it big entertainment events do and sports events do happen there would he rather it be in fucking vincennes indiana i'm not sure i'm on the thick side Thus, I still don't understand why this past week, again, women's college teams dress head-to-toe, sneakers included, in pink to show their support for curing breast cancer. So I again ask, why not everyone wear a conspicuous pink ribbon rather than spend tens of thousands of dollars on pink ensembles? Why not donate that money to cancer research rather than on fleeting public relations. <laughs> See, again, that's like the most negative way of looking at that, right? Uh, how dare this fat man dressed all in red and white come down my chimney and fucking leave all those presents. The wrapping paper got everywhere. I think he's damaged the chimney. I'm going to have to have it inspected. 
And the reindeer shit on the roof. Did anyone else have a problem with the Breast Cancer Day pink outfits? Did anyone else I, say that's a waste of money? I don't if they, if, and also if they wanted to wear pink, I assume, didn't they, maybe they bought their own or the school got a, a grant from the Exxon Corporation or something. I don't fucking know. I wouldn't examine how the people bought their fucking uniforms when they were trying to bring awareness to a certain situation. This does bring up an interesting question. And again, you have a little bit of a history with Mushnick from the promo you cut on him on Raw. But to the people that were calling out Vince in the early 90s, and amongst the wrestlers, a lot of them ended up going back to work for him at one time or another. Some of them didn't, like David Schultz, Billy Jack Haynes. Uh, we'll talk about him a More on later. him later. Various other people. But Bruno San Martino eventually, you know, joined the Hall of Fame and was a part of the alumni or the alumnus of WWE. But there were people calling him out for a lot of things. And, you know, if you go back and look at things... They knew what was up with Mel Phillips when they rehired him after firing him. You know, like they knew a lot of things. And I guess to some people like Phil Mushnick, and again, he may have a negative tone in his stuff and everything is just, you know, why are they wasting money? Who is this person? Whatever. But to the people that have been waiting for this moment, like it's almost like they knew it was going to one day come because they saw something in Vince then that a lot of other people didn't see. Well, it, it coming from, and I guess this guy's an extreme example. He's all the way over on one side of the fence. But coming from the real world, yes, when you examined the wrestling business and any of its practices, not just related to Mel Phillips and his, you know, feet activities or whatever's going on with Terry Garvin, you know, a guy using a blade, whatever the fuck, it's bizarre when you examine what go, goes on and went on in wrestling. And, you know, that's the thing with Vince is people knew that he was, we've always said he was weird, and people could extrapolate, well, look at all this going on. But I, always, I was not around the Ring Boy scandal in the 80s because we were down south working for Crockett. But I always assumed, I said, what, besides the fact that people have wrongly maligned Pat Patterson just because he was gay and was in the middle of the fucking company in, in so many different ways, but he and Garvin and Phillips were completely different cases. But I could never figure out from my experience there why Vince would have given a fuck about who the guy, Mel Phillips, whether he's going to announce or he's going to take jackets or he, who the fuck is Mel Phillips? He's like the merchandise weasel. Fuck it. He caused a, a problem. Get the fuck rid of him. And I, it, it was because of, you know, Terry Garvin was a little bit higher ranked individual. Oh, he was. He was on the corporate ladder. He was an executive. Yeah. Man. You know, that well, I could see. Well, they didn't, you know. They didn't want to bury themselves by just publicly fucking kicking him under the bus because he was up there, but Mel Phillips is just a stooge. And I never understood why they went to, you know, any trouble to protect him in any way or whatever. But I couldn't see Vince at his 
level, you know, interacting with this low level shit and it, it getting to that extent. And I never understood what, maybe now it's like, well, they knew something on fucking Vince. Who the fuck knows? And they didn't have NDAs back then. See, that's one of the things you have to wonder. How many people, especially from the early days when it was a smaller circle, the company was a smaller company. How many people, if anyone, had wind that Vince was in the sick shit? You know, who knew what? I mean, it all comes back to who knew what and when. I, it, and it, again, I think he... I mean, I I know that Vince has always been in the Rita Chatterton thing, and yes, he's messed around on Linda, but I would have to think he somehow got into these extremes late in life when he the rest of his brain went away when he became a billionaire or whatever. Because you would have you would have heard some of this shit. There's no way that the boys in the eighties, they weren't that scared of Vince. That that they the the guys in the eighties from the territories had seen a lot of things and were not easily scared of people, and didn't at that point have the thought that well my job is over in the wrestling business entirely if Vince is pissed off at me because it hadn't got to that point. You would not have been able to keep that chatter quiet. But again, in the eighties, Rita Chatterton was a referee. She was the only female referee. There was Miss Elizabeth. There was Sherry Martell. Before that, there was Moolah. There was Wendy Richter. There was Moolah Stable. Different people did things with different promoters, but you never hear anything about Vince with that. There weren't that many women around. Now, especially since the Attitude Era, it just became a, a meat market almost. But there were... It seems like, considering a, who was were, hiring them. There were many more women in those days at the shows and at the hotels and waiting at the various places where the guys ate and whatever. So it, I'm just, I, I don't know. But again, that's why I always wondered when I was, you know, when I heard about it and when I was there, seeing the company in, in action, why would Mel Phillips, this lowly fuckwit, have been tolerated? You know, why did they want Dirty Stooges? Why did they yeah. want dirty stooges who were going to do anything they said and they knew they had nowhere else to go? That's the question. I don't know if we'll ever get an answer to that. But Jim, let's um, move on from Phil Mushnick and Vince to uh, another Vince story. And we'll save a little bit of the Vince stuff for tomorrow on the experience when we record it. Brett the Hitman Hart has spoken out now. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. If Bret Hart had heard any stories with details approaching what we've heard lately about Vince McMahon, I have a hard time believing that he wouldn't have made reference, right, from years ago. You would think so. You would certainly hope so. I guess Bret Hart's still a lot of people's hero. But an article here from... Well, he's saying it now, and the the stuff he says now sounds like the shit that he used to say... 25 years ago. He hasn't changed that much. There's an article here from Slate.com by Abraham Josephine Reisman, or Reisman, I'm not sure the exact pronunciation, excuse me. Quote, it's too sick and disgusting to really imagine. The new allegations against Vince McMahon have finally pushed Brett the Hitman Hart to denounce him for good. That's the headline. What do you think of that? Well, that's, I mean, (laughs) that's why I say that Brett didn't hear about Shit like this in the 80s or 90s, or we would have heard something like this from Brett before, but go ahead. 
Well, I guess it's a long article and it covers a lot of the stuff we've talked about. Let me, uh, you could again, check it out, slate.com. Let me find some of the quotes. I'm going to speak my truth. I'm not worried about Vince's feelings. He never cared about mine. I don't have any problem with everybody kicking his head around the parking lot. <laughs> I'm okay with the truth coming out. That's a, that's another one of those sports they have in Canada. In addition to the curling, <laughs> they take decapitated heads and kick them around a parking lot. Let me scroll down a little more. According to the filing, McMahon coerced Grant into three-way sexual into a three-way sexual encounter during which McMahon allegedly defecated on Grant's head and back while she was being raped by another man, then forced her to continue being assaulted for an hour and a half before letting her shower. It was too much for Hart. Quote, when you get that vision in your head, you go, that's messed up. It's too sick and disgusting to really imagine. But at the same time, the lewd text messages included in the suit, allegedly sent by McMahon after the incident, have a convincingly familiar ring, Hart said. Quote, they sound like Vince. <laughs> End quote. And then a little bit uh, down here, I don't... Now, wait a wait a hold on. I don't know in what context. Oh, I, I'm sure Vince and Brett have texted each other because, you know, as we know, Vince, in any way that he can contact you, he'll master it. And I guess Brett's one of these people is, oh, we got a text now like the young folks. But I defy Brett Hart to come up with any text that Vince McMahon ever sent him that approaches any of those texts. Maybe just the wordiness or the the... The lack of grammatical consistency, maybe, was the the tone of Vince's text. You know, it was. I think it was one of them. It almost looked like one of his attempts at, you know, the Vince mind trick, where he said something like awful that he wanted her to do, and then he was like, "Holy shit, isn't this great?" Like the holy shit got him. Was like, <laughs> whoa, that's him. Well, let me go back to uh, Brett here, or 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 when he almost parenthetically added. And more on this truthful story, I'm telling you. I don't think that this is the only incident of this kind of predatory behavior, Hart said. I think you'll find that it's everywhere in WWE. But he never spoke up. McMahon was too fearsome at the time. <laughs> Go back to Brett here. It's kind of like the Godfather. You never know when a guy like Vince will be your enemy again over something you say or do. Plus, it seemed like nothing could stop him anyway. Back to Brett. He's the Teflon guy. You just can't seem to get anything on him. He's just too powerful. Got too much money. Let's stop there. What do you think of that? That's kind of what you know. were saying before, why people wouldn't say anything. Yeah, but I, I believe he finally got some on him. Um, I, I think this, is, this one's going to stick a little while. Um, you know, again with with Brett, I'm just—I didn't mean to laugh a minute ago when he's well, boy, that's 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 messed up. I mean, what a a classic Canadian Bret Hart understatement of an issue. Um, yeah, you know, think of Brett was one of the top guys, and Vince had—he was in the class that Vince dealt with on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Because we were talking last week on one of these programs about what kind of relationship does Vince have with his top guys now? It apparently has changed and modified over the years because 
And as Michael said, Jesus Christ, you know, the, the, the rumors amongst people, both jealous wrestlers and bewildered fans as to why Michael's got Vince put up with so much shit from him. Well, there must be something going on between them. Well, no, I'm sorry. That wasn't happening. And as Michael said, he never had problems getting women on his own. Of all the problems he caused himself and had self-inflicted wounds, those were not among them. And I can... Knowing Shawn Michaels of that era, even though Vince was the boss... He always, and we've talked about it, there was some element of him being the nerd wanting to hang out with the cool kids. Why he put up with that from the click or DX or whatever. They've drawn him money, yes, but also as the boys club type of thing that appealed to Vince because he was on the outside looking in. If the 45-year-old Vince McMahon had suggested a three-way to... 30-year-old Shawn Michaels or whatever it was, Michaels would have, I don't know whether he would have laughed first or fucking his tongue would have dropped out of his mouth. But that not that would not have been a situation that any of those guys I don't think could have performed in back in those days with the principal in the fucking room. I don't know what's going on with Vince and Laurinaitis, but Vince did not have that relationship with The Undertaker, I'll tell you that. All right, well, let's go back to Brett. But more important was the love and respect Hart still held for so long. Without McMahon, he had told me, I wouldn't be the same man I am today. McMahon made many of the best things in his adult life possible. It was an exploitive power, excuse me, exploitative power. McMahon held over everyone he built up in the world he built. Now, Hart sees McMahon facing the greatest threat that a man who has built a profitable reputation for sadism can face. (laughs) What? Wait, what? He is facing the greatest threat that a man who has built a profitable reputation for sadism can face. What? Here's uh, Bret Hart's quote. It's like Jeffrey Dahmer, Harvey Weinstein, or Jeffrey Epstein. Vince will be a joke. He'll be used for humor, and you'll shake your head at the shock value of some jokes about it. What did Vince McMahon do? He'll always be associated with this story, especially as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, these quotes from Brett are pretty fascinating. He's just right away ready to say, yeah, fuck Vince. (laughs) That's why I love Brett. Brett's an upstanding kind of guy. He doesn't go in for any of that that falderall going on out there. But I, I think the the wording was a little flowery about the the man who's built his a profitable industry of sadism or whatever. Well, it says here, I always had respect for him. Now it's tainted. I'm embarrassed. I thought so highly of him. And I think that's the way a lot of people felt. But the other interesting thing here. Hart has already tried to make amends for his past belief in McMahon. Throughout his time in WWF and for the decades later, he heard the rumors and accusations of sexual impropriety against McMahon, and he generally dismissed them. For example, when WWF's first female referee, Rita Chatterton, came forward in 1992 to accuse McMahon of raping her, 
Hart looked for holes in her story and wrote it off, even going so far as to credit her accusations in interviews. I just didn't believe it, Hart told me. I figured Vince had too much at stake to ever do something like that. Even after the 2022 revelations of alleged hush money payments from McMahon, two former employees became public, and he briefly resigned, Hart had kept his mouth shut. Same when McMahon forced his way back into the boardroom in 2023, despite the unresolved accusations. But a few months ago, after hearing the advanced rumblings of these latest accusations, Hart ran into Chatterton at a convention. I apologize from the bottom of my heart, Hart recalled, and I said I believe that what happened to you happened to you, and I apologize and I was wrong. Hart sounds genuinely remorseful when he tells me these things. He already lost his father, a legendary wrestling promoter in his own right, 20 years ago. Now it's as though he has lost another. And the final quote here, I think, despite all the issues I ever had with Vince, I know deep down I always respected him. But now, knowing what kind of weirdo he became, I have absolutely... (laughs) I have absolutely zero respect for him. Hart wrote to me in a text message after our conversation. I do not think I could ever shake his hand if he extended it. Too creepy. And there it is. You can read the whole article at slate.com. Abraham Joseph, Josephine Reisman also wrote the Vince McMahon biography. Was it Ringmaster? Yes. So... They've been on the case of Vince McMahon for a while, so this is someone with knowledge of what happened back then, I would believe. I was going to say, when we were talking about our friend Phil Mushnick earlier, and the promo that I cut on him, I think Brett's the same thing. The, when I promoted Phil Mushnick on that Raw episode, it was because a column he had written after Brian Pillman died. And he was, not only he was a he was knocking Pillman, but also he always knocked the business itself. I wasn't defending Vince and didn't say anything about Vince personally. It was about, uh, it, I had no problem at all cut a promo on a guy that was knocking the wrestling business. I had done that throughout my life and would continue to. And I think Brett here is not only aghast, uh, upset, you know, it's unsavory, the details, but also he's upset at how Vince has made the business look and how he has disgraced that and given all these people who never liked it to begin with uh, the excuse and opportunity to slander the whole wrestling business and everybody that's been in it because this one fucking guy does this shit. And I think, you know, because talking about used to having respect for Vince McMahon, I've mentioned this, whether it was the boys or whether it was TV people or whether it was anybody, when Vince of old came into the room, he's tall, he's got the suits, he's got the presence, the personal magnetism of a person that, you know, this is somebody, he's important, he had that voice, and you would is like the principal was in the room or there's some authority figure. You're on your best behavior. Mind your P's and Q's, as Mama Cornette used to say. And then to find out that he's a 
driveling, disgusting, perverted old man that not only that, but he's stupid about it. I said, I can't believe he was this stupid. Brett said, how could he be this stupid? You find this guy that you had respect for, even if he had fucked you around personally or fucked you around business-wise, you could say, look at him, but he's got his shit together. And now you find he's a blithering idiot that has destroyed his own reputation and cost himself, you know, however many millions and millions and millions of dollars over this behavior. You know, it, it, even if nothing else, that's a departure. That's a shock. That's a transition from the guy that we all knew, even if he was a crazy billionaire, he was still, you didn't, you didn't think he's a complete fucking buffoon. I mean, that's one of your points. And that has been, you know, this, he never thought he would be this stupid on top of everything else. But again, maybe he reverted back to what he's always been. But uh, move on from the <sighs> Bret Hart, Vince McMahon, the really the Vince McMahon update today. We'll have more Vince McMahon on the drive-thru that we're re returning to, that we're recording we're, tomorrow. No, this is the drive-thru. We're recording the experience. The experience. I don't know where we are. <laughs> And he sold his condo, by the way, in 2023. I guess the trips through the lobby were getting awkward. And it was Linda's condo, too, apparently. Yes, they, they owned it as a couple, and they sold it for, like, what, under $2 million when they had paid, like, $4 million and wanted originally $4 million. But he took half of that to get out of there, apparently. Well, more about Vince and uh, his sick, weirdo behavior, as Bret Hart put it, later on. Jim, a few interesting things we'll talk about here before we wrap things up. Executive moves that happened this past week. Let's start with the first one. <laughs> It's a bad week to be the president of a wrestling company, isn't it? It's been a little bit of a run where, you know, Vince McMahon and now these moves, like the head, I mean, Tony Khan better watch out. But the news this past week, and I know we don't follow stardom in Japanese women's wrestling that closely, but this is really fascinating. Rossi Ogawa, who was the founder of stardom, made a lot of money selling stardom to Bushiroad, which owns New Japan, but was still running it and head of creative was released, was fired, even though he was apparently already intending on leaving. And the reason that went around was for poaching talent. And people didn't know if that meant for WWE because of the rumors of their big star Julia going to WWE and she's close with Ogawa. Or him starting his own promotion, which I guess just by its existence would be opposition to the biggest women's company in Japan. Have you been following any of this? Well, I didn't follow. I've, I've caught up with it. After the news broke that they canned the guy and all of the all the wrestlers apparently are upset, but this, this does not sound good. Here's the deal. Is not only did this guy start the company, apparently he's been the guru of women's wrestling in Japan for however many years, for whatever you think of that position. But he started this company, and then he sold it to Bushy Road, which, has, as you mentioned, owns New Japan. This was several years ago, and they've, you know, made it even bigger and put money into it, and now I think it grosses like $10 million a year. No wonder Uncle Dave is all wrapped up in this. But now they found out that he's pissed off because they won't let him. He's the booker still, but they've been overruling him. 
And we don't know, we don't have a dog in the hunt, right? We don't know whose side to take because is it a case of people who work at a business office that we've experienced before, the Jim Herds of the world, trying to impress on the wrestling people that they know something about wrestling and telling them to do stupid shit? Or is it Rossi Ogawa's an indie wrestling mark promoter like Tony Khan and wants to do stupid shit even though now he's running a big business? We don't know which side it is, but they've been overruling him on his booking. And he decided since he was independently wealthy from the money he made selling this outlaw girl wrestling company to this big conglomerate, that he's going to start his own company that he can book without interference and use his own money. And they found out about it. And they knew he was going to leave and they agreed apparently to an end date sometime in February. And then a couple weeks before that, they went ahead and fired him and said, fuck it. He's gone. He's been trying to poach our talent after he was already going to leave anyway. And a lot of the wrestlers who know him are up in, in an uproar about it. And they've installed some non wrestling executive person uh, to replace him. And that always works. So have they have they all shit the bed over there? It's a fascinating series of events. We also have to figure out what exactly is poaching, because is poaching as simple as, I'm leaving soon. Where are you going? I'm going to start my own company. Oh, can I work for you? Like, is that poaching? Because apparently a lot of the women there, if not the vast majority, only have one-year contracts. It's not like here, where you get five-year deals now. One-year deals. That you have to renew every year. It's easy to do that when you have no competition. That's one thing you have to look at. Do they think Rossi Ogawa is opening the door to kind of be a feeder system to WWE? Because a lot of women have come out of stardom and gone there. That's another thing, especially with Julia now saying, or everyone assuming Julia is going to WWE. Well, well and Tony, Tony Khan hopped on Twitter to rub whatever mess there is in in old Rossi's face but any boo boo so apparently they didn't like each other yeah hold on I actually saved something to read you about that because I started laughing it was in the observer Dave Meltzer's well, no observer. wonder you were laughing however there was hope from an AEW standpoint that things would be easier working with Bushy Road without Ogawa there AEW does have hopes of working with stardom more extensively this year as well as with New Japan and CMLL and the belief is that internally, they feel this makes it easier. Let me scroll down a little bit. After Tony Khan's tweets, another person close to the situation in stardom said, you have no idea how upset wrestlers and media are about Tony sticking it to Rossi. <laughs> so now he's upset the wrestlers in stardom and the Japanese media for whatever that's worth. In 2019, before AEW became a full-time promotion, Kenny Omega asked Mayu Iwatani to join the company. Ogawa found out it wasn't happy since Iwatani was one of his top stars and he was in the process of selling the company to Bushy Road. <laughs> and Iwatani was their biggest established star after Io Shirai, Tony Storm, and Kyrie Sane had gone to WWE. So as he's trying to sell the company, Kenny Omega was trying to sign for AEW, his biggest star is what it says. 
But now here, here's the thing. Listen to this now. If Rossi Ogawa started the whole company of stardom and it built it up where he sold it to the conglomerate, and now it's doing big business, it's making all this money, it's doing better than it ever has, and he became independently wealthy for the sale of the company to the conglomerate that he still allegedly was supposed to be running. But now, because he's not, he's being overruled on some of his decisions, he wants to take the money that he made selling the first company to the conglomerate and start his own company so he can book it the way he wants to. But what is the talent's reason to go with him? Because usually when that happens, when a guy wants to split off and start his own company, I mean, the business is down. Everybody's disgruntled. Nobody's making any money. It's all the shits. This company is now is making $10 million a year over there in Japan. And I would assume these young ladies are making more money. So if he already found the conglomerate to sell it to, then if he starts another company, it's going to automatically be the second largest women's wrestling company in the country because this is the biggest. And... Is he going to use his own money to pay these women as much money as this conglomerate would pay them? And how is the number two company, starting from scratch, going to compete against the established existing number one company with all this finance behind it, etc.? So what is the talent's reason to follow him past they like him and he did a great job building the company up to sell it the first time? Where is he going to find another angel? I don't know. But going back to uh, what Dave wrote about the relationship between AEW and him, because again, the Tony Khan tantrum about this got a lot of attention, but that was what Tony Khan wanted. He wanted people to see this. Ogawa and Omega did work together eventually, and Riho was used regularly by stardom while under contract to AEW. But part of the deal from Omega and Khan, was that she not lose in Japan. Oh, good Lord. Ogawa agreed to it. Oh, good Lord. Wait a minute. <laughs> Tony Khan actually thought enough of that minute, buck-toothed, flousy little girl to say, well, oh my God, no, she can't lose a match in Japan while she's on my TV in the United States. What the fuck is he thinking? Ogawa agreed to it and put the high speed title on her. And when it was time for her to lose, they made it a three way so she could lose the title without being pinned. Oh, good lord. Although in time, stardom felt hamstrung by that and Riho's tenure with stardom ended. And there was rioting in the streets when, when they announced, oh, no more Riho. Yeah, why did they not want to work with AEW anymore? Because they sent over Riho and said you have to book her like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that may have something to do with it. Oh, good Lord. So anyway, now we got to wait and find out whether all of the all of the wrestlers engage in a revolt and leave stardom and go to Rossi, and he does the whole thing all over again. And in the meantime, hopefully this means that we will see less outlaw Japanese female talent in AEW than we've had in the past. Because they'll all be tied up with their own business over there. 
It's interesting, too, to think that, you know, we talk about the women's division and our issues with it. There's a chance that a promoter over there of the biggest Japanese women's wrestling company, or the booker, I guess now, he agrees. He doesn't want his women on AEW TV either because of how they'll be used. (laughs) That's something, isn't it? Well, maybe he's got more sense than we give him credit for. Well, Jim, another executive playing musical chairs and singing the same tune, independently wealthy, trying to put together a deal for his own (laughs) thing. Wanted to buy the company. Lots of stories around there. But Big Scott Demore has been fired from a, uh, AEW, he wishes. Fired from TNA Impact or Impact or TNA, whatever it officially is at this moment. They have parted ways with the man a lot of people think is responsible for the resurgence of TNA over the last few years. Well, and and we laugh, but look how shitty it was. It has apparently gotten better because it couldn't hardly get much worse. But and uh, again, this is another. It's the same thing with Scott Demore and Riho. You know, were they a, a couple of thing? Did they get ideas from each other? The story now is out of the blue, out of nowhere. Scott Demore. They announced the anthem people in Canada. There, anthem is the name of their big overlord company. The Aspers. They're the, yeah. The Aspers. They're the owner. The, they have aspirations. They're the owners of Access TV and TNA Impact Wrestling and the Fight Network and I don't know, a couple of buggy whip factories, whatever. Big business. The curling, the curling industry owes a lot to the Aspers, I'm pretty sure, up there. But anyway, out of the blue, they say, oh, Scott DeMore is done. He's no longer with us. And he's being replaced by some unknown civilian that works for Anthem, an executive. And first of all, when they put, it's automatically a reason for mass panic. Because every time that a a real-world executive is put in charge of a wrestling company, shit goes south fairly quickly. Because they don't know what they're doing, they don't know how to speak the language, they don't know how to deal with people. It's always a disaster. But in this case, they not only are doing that, but also they've done it when we haven't been watching them because I gave up on the the thing quite a while back when they were doing murder mysteries and putting people in other dimensions and then bringing the dead back to life or or whatever the fuck. It was all right. And they got so far off the radar that who gives a shit and we we only got so much time. But everybody that watches the thing has said, well, their shows have been better. And we laughed at them for changing the name, but apparently Impact had sucked so bad that TNA was the nostalgic thing that they liked better, even though they made fun of it at the time. So they've been doing better shows. Their business has been picking up. Demore, you know, for whatever else you can say, he's been dedicated to this thing. Everybody says, oh, he he's fucking worked his ass off and he's try to do whatever he can do to rebuild this moribund enterprise after the Carter era and all the other shit that went on. And then they just fire him. And then when they have a call with the talent or whatever the Zoom thing or whatever they did, they led by lying, saying that Scott had stepped down when everybody knew that that was not the truth, that they'd fired him. They should have led with, the more, no more. 
Demore has been demoralized. <laughs> but but basically, it's the same situation that we're kind of starting to hear now that Demore had been upset because he was doing these things and that thing and the other thing, but he couldn't get a bigger budget. He couldn't get him to hire certain people. He couldn't. He was getting overruled on things, and he had made an offer to try to buy the company from the Anthem because, it, and I I don't know whether this is known, I think Demore's family, since I was working down there, it has been involved in a big construction company. Construction, that's right. He's, he's and, a big um, shot on the construction side, I hear. Yes, and... And so that's what, you know, he's in the past, he's done that in some cases when he decided, oh, I'm going to stay away from wrestling. He's worked in his family's business. They've got money, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't even deal with him on making an offer, you know, or whatever, trying to sell him the company. And then they just, you know, basically, I guess it had got to the point where they couldn't live together anymore, and they had to decide to... The rumor that went around wasn't even about his family's money. I think the rumor that went around was he had a note from a bank. Well, yes. I mean, he has money. His family has a, has started a business. I'm sure he's got a significant portion of that business. I'm not saying he, he's like Tony Khan and using his dad's allowance or whatever. I'm saying that, yes, they have other business besides wrestling, and the Demore family and Scott could potentially afford this. He had a letter of credit from a bank. He had some way of proving that he had backing or whatever. They wouldn't talk to him about it. And, but now that's, they're trying to paint the move as positive from the Anthem side and that they've decided to take the company and completely integrate it into all the other Anthem businesses. That means they weren't <laughs> doing that till now. That means what kind of fucking morons are you? If you've got one business that you own wholeheartedly outright and you have other businesses that could help give that business publicity or uh, uh, help it in any way, shape, or form establish or expand its business, wouldn't you work together on those things if you own them all? That's just... So there is saying by now making this change to... Do all of this good stuff we're going to do to make impact bigger. We reveal that we've just figured out we've owned this thing for about six years and we could have done this the whole time. What? What did, what did you make of that explanation? I think something about this whole thing smells funny. And hopefully, thank you, Scott, which was trending briefly, <laughs> ages better than thank you, Vince did. <laughs> because the reason we're being given makes no sense. Apparently, DeMore knew things were going to change, so he made an offer to buy the company. When you don't want to sell something, it's kind of weird when all of a sudden someone comes up to you like, I'm ready to buy it. That's a little weird. The timing of this is weird, considering not only they rebranded as TNA, but he's been front and center as their biggest cheerleader. For yeah. good reason. He's the executive, but really out there doing interviews, talking about it. I saw a promo we did in the ring have to say was very passionate so all of a sudden he's gone they give conflicting reasons about to why he's gone he stepped down no he was asked to leave well and, and besides that this whole idea of okay the reason for this is we're putting this other executive from a place other and another department in anthem in charge of the company so that he can make sure that all of our companies are working together to fully promote 
TNA wrestling and, and get, you know, integrate their stars on our other television programs and other genres. Great. What, what does that have to do with Scott Demore, the experienced guy that's done, got it this far, continuing to run the company while you integrate their product into all your other is it's like, Oh, well, we could have done this all along, but goddamn Demore was running the thing. What? That does not make sense. The way this was all done, and based on various things in the past that were talked about, you have to wonder if maybe there's anything else going on behind this, that all of a sudden, right now, where they have a working relationship with WWE, which may be more important than everything else they have going on, they got one of their champions on the Royal Rumble, and she looked good in there. They didn't just dump her out right away. They talked about her being in the other company. So there's something going on there for right now, for Scott Demore to be pushed out. It has to be more than he just, he was frustrated. So he wanted to buy the company. So they fired him. <laughs> that doesn't make too much fucking sense. Well, maybe, maybe they confused him with Rossi Ogawa. He wanted them to have a bigger budget. So he said, I'm going to give you money. I want to buy the company. They said, we don't want to do that. And he said, okay, I'll go back to work. And they said, you're fired. Yes. That's a natural progression of events right there. I can't see it happening any other way. Has Scott Demore said anything? Public? I guess he hasn't. I haven't seen a quote from him. I anymore. haven't. No. Have not heard of any statement, but. What to find out? I mean, did he, we're saying he got fired. They say he stepped down. Did they force him to sign a resignation for one reason or another? That's one of the things we have to find out. It's, well, uh, but no, the, the, the story that I was hearing is that, again, you know, they knew that it was, both sides knew that it was coming, that they were coming to an impasse, and it was just a case of not sure when it was going to be announced to the public, but then as soon as it was announced, it's, uh, Demore is done, then no, Demore stepped down on the, to the talent, and that was not the way it was phrased initially. And they were trying to soften the blow, and a lot of people are pissed off because, again, unnamed executives who have never been in charge of anything meaningful involving wrestling are now in charge of all these people's fucking futures. Well, it gets worse. According to The Observer, nothing was said about creative, but there was a belief that Tommy Dreamer, who was second in command, would be in charge. But neither he nor anyone else was told that. Dreamer, Gail Kim, and R.D. Evans were the key people with Demore on the creative end. When I got, when, when Laurinaitis got mad at me one time in the summer of 05, before the big blow up, they put Dreamer in charge of OVW booking for about four weeks before I came back. I remember that TV. Out. And my God, it almost put us all out of business. Nobody knew what to fave. Even the boy, Danny Davis said, what? I asked Danny, I said, what the fuck is going on with this TV? I said, I don't know. Tommy learned all the, the bad habits from Heyman. Shoot everything, have it in your mind, and we'll do extensive post-production. The only problem is Heyman was the only one because of that large bulbous head that had enough room in his mind to have all that in his mind. Well, back to this. Scott Demore gone from TNA, and again, as we just said, not just the person running it, but head of creative. So. Whatever this move is, it's something that definitely changes the dynamic of everything there. I remember Dutch Mantel calls me on the phone about two months after I joined TNA in 2006. And that's when Demore had been on the creative team before with, I think, Jeremy Borash. And 
out on two or three people along with Dutch Mantell and Jeff Jarrett. And Dutch opened the call with, well, Dixie just fired everybody on the creative team except me and Jeff. I said, well, that's a good start. Is that there needed to be fewer instead of more? And then he said, and she just hired Vince Russo. And I said, well, I quit. And then that began that whole thing. But uh, so we kind of, we've told that story. But we've glossed over the reason why, as I was told, as I recall, that they fired everybody else besides Dutch and Jeff on the creative team. And Scott, Scott DeMore led that, that crew that was fired is because they caught DeMore trying to take the company over from him. It was 2006. Really? I don't know about that. Yes, it's some way or another, either either Demore was trying to go behind Jeff's back to Dixie or uh, bad mouth, whatever the fuck, but he wanted to run the fucking thing then. It's almost 20 years ago. And then a year later, they brought him back, I guess, maybe not a year, maybe about a year. I don't know. The, the aficionados of the company can look up that timeline. And I just said, well... Why did they bring it to more back? We tried to steal the company. He said, well, he promised he wouldn't do it anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. Bob Roop. <laughs> well, more like Ronnie Gossett. Ronnie Gossett sold Nick's territory and ended up working for Jerry Jarrett years later. He promised he wouldn't sell mine. What do you think? I mean, what do you think he'll do with this big budget he has to buy a company? Will he buy the NWA? Will he buy uh, Women of Wrestling? Well, there's nothing worth buying. Because everything that that exists is where it is. You couldn't. But isn't if it, you bought, it's like the WCW thing, though. Like WCW was being sold, but you needed the TV. If the company that owns TNA is the company airing TNA, what are you really buying? The archive. A, a You're not buying a the, TV spot. You buy an opportunity, son. You're buying op the opportunity to go out there and build the whole thing all over again and get it on something else. I mean, maybe the, the deal was I'll buy the company, just air it, and I'll buy the thing and, and do everything. Who knows? But there is no wrestling promotion in the world right now available to be bought that's worth buying. Nobody's going to buy the WWE, and it's the only one that's worth anything. AEW, my God. If anybody was to buy it, you'd have to take over the ridiculous fucking talent roster and the overpaid talent and the plethora of contracts and the, the you know, ridiculous arena contracts that have been signed where you're running arenas that seat 20,000 for 2,000 people and the massive overspending in every element of the fucking company and you'd never make your money back. And the the reputation that here's the number two company that draws the same amount of people every week on TV in, you know, and one show does good. The other show does. And the other show's rotten. What are you buying? If you buy impact right now, that, that that's the thing that you just said, unless the company that owns it now sells it to you and still airs the TV, you're buying a fucking wrestling promotion with no television ring of honor. It's part of Tony Khan's collection. He's got it in his memorabilia room, and he puts it out on YouTube every once in a while. It doesn't really exist, so that's not worth anything. Global Force Wrestling. It's it's gone. And 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 they they fucking erased the tapes. 
Oh, that was real fucking ill will on their part. Uh, what other wrestling promotion exists today that anybody could buy and do anything differently with it than what is being done now? Well, we'll see what happens to Scott. DeBoer. No, that was, that was a question. There's no, I, there's no I answer. Think of one. I can't think of one of any value. No. Anybody buys one right now. What are, even if they've got unlimited money, what are they going to do with it in the first two years? It's going to make it any different than what's gone on. So use that. If you are insistent on being in wrestling, use that money as start a promotion. Don't buy anything because Just you have a better chance with low overhead. Start your own. It, 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 what the fuck difference is it going to make? You probably ain't going to get anywhere anyway, but at least you wouldn't be just paying however many million dollars for something that's flopped so far already. Well, as we said before, Damore, no more, but I'm sure you can find him riding around a tractor like a big boy on the construction site. Jim, let's get at least one more thing before we get out of here. On the experience, we're going to talk dynamite and all the Vince McMahon resignation news and John Laurinaitis and Ashley Massaro and just one thing after another. And Billy another. Jack. Well, Billy and, and Jack. Let's tell the people right now. We can talk about that now. Let's get that well, done. Yeah, well, let, but let's also tell the people what you had no fucking earthly clue of what I was talking about. Billy Jack, 110 Soldier, hit song, 1971, Top 40, The Group Coven. You goddamn, you didn't know what I was singing. On the bloody morning after, oh. one tin soldier rides away. Though the people of the mountain sent the message down the hill of the gold that's buried wherever in our valley we will share. I can't remember the words, but it's 50 years ago, but it was a goddamn hit song. You've never heard that song. It's weird that it's one person singing, but you sound like two insects being multi-tracked. Uh, no, I'm, you listen. There was, there was harmony on the song. There's some crap shit that was released, too, that like didn't really survive to today that people don't like rave about. So I'll check it out sometime. But no, that, that was an incredible movie with a hit theme song that potentially was. And, and I think it did well in the Oscar uh, running as well. And, and it was the year before. Uh, there's got to be a morning after from the Poseidon Adventure. There's got to be a morning oh, after. Oh, stop. Come on. Come on. Come on. There's only so much time. See, on the, the bloody please, morning internet after. Cut out there's now. got to be a internet, morning after. Please it was cut a, out now. It was a whole series of the Oscars in the early 70s about morning afters. They even named a pill after it. But the bloody morning after, and then there's got to be a morning after, and... I feel like there's a disconnect. Well, see, because you haven't heard that song. Billy Jack look, Haynes. Look it up. All right, well, let's talk about the Billy Jack and wrestling, who, of course, took the name Billy Jack and the gimmick and the hat and everything from yes. the movie out of the Pacific Northwest, out of Portland, Oregon, in the early 80s. One of those guys that was on the cover of a bunch of magazines before he even did anything. And then what he did didn't go to where I think a lot of people thought it would have. And now the word out, and I, I don't know if it's official or not, but reportedly Billy Jack Haynes murdered his wife this past week and was arrested either in Portland or just outside of it. What do you know about all this? And let's talk a little bit about someone who the older he got, the 
wilder a personality he became, Billy Jack Haynes. Well, apparently it is legitimate because some of the the inside wrestling folks over there in the Pacific Northwest have said, because the news at first said an ex-pro wrestler has been arrested after a standoff, apparently people heard gunshots, a gunshot or gunshots coming from the house, house in a quiet neighborhood somewhere outside of, as you mentioned, you know, Portland. Uh, and when the cops got there, there was an uncooperative individual inside. There was a two hour standoff and finally they got him out. Whether I guess he, you know, uh, surrendered, whatever the case, they go inside, find a dead woman, which apparently was his wife. She was 70. I think he's got to be close if not. And uh, you know, th they didn't, because it's been so long since he was, you know, in the public eye, and also they didn't give out, you know, any names or anything with the initial reports, but some of the people that are tuned into the wrestling scene in that area were quick to, you know, get on Twitter and or spread the word around to certain people that, yeah, it's Billy Jack. And, uh, you know, we've talked about him. I don't even know what the title of the clip is, but if they go to the, do you know what it is? The YouTube channel where we talked about the various stories about Billy Jack and some of my interactions in Dallas and in Crockett um, and just his history. But so I don't know if people want to go back and search those out. I don't want to repeat a lot of stuff, but basically it was a deal where as soon as he was seen when he was in his younger days, I guess if how old he is now, he was what? 30 easily when he almost when he got started in wrestling but he had that immense bodybuilder physique and the black hair and the beard he looked like an action movie star you know standing next to Schwarzenegger Schwarzenegger looks like the little buddy right and as soon as the promoter saw him they said oh this is fucking this is the next Hulk Hogan and we talked where he was always based out of Portland but he would he went to Florida and lasted long enough to have good pictures taken. And that was Nancy. Uh, Nancy Benoit was one of the, the models that, um, that was in his publicity pictures down there. That was her first, That's right. you know, entree into wrestling. And then, you know, the, the deal with uh, Dallas when he got the spot to replace Carrie when they thought Carrie was going to do the movie. Carrie wasn't going to do the movie, and, you know, Billy Jack went back to Portland. But a lot of people remember the story his first night there. He and Chris Adams, Chris Adams had heat with Billy Jack over their mutual relationship with uh, Jeannie Clark, right? And Billy Chris Jack Adams, was married to her. Well, yes, Billy Jack had been married to her, and then she'd gotten involved with Chris, right? When they broke no, no, no. up and no, or vice versa. She came over from England with Chris. And by the time they got to Portland, her and Billy Jack became a thing. And her and Chris became more of, they weren't together. They were just in the States together and they had That's a child, right. but she ended up marrying Billy Jack Haynes. That's right. I apologize for not having everybody's marital status right on the tip of my tongue. But the point being, when Chris Adams found out Billy Jack was going to debut in Fort Worth on that Monday night, Chris was the world-class TV champion, he left town 
and didn't come back all week until they got Billy Jack to be able to promise and assure Chris Adams that he wasn't going to fucking kill him. And then Billy was gone there, and then the same year, and when we went to work for Crockett, Billy Jack was in the Carolinas working for Crockett, like September, October. Wasn't he on the Starcade 85 that year? He was, and he was in the TV title tournament, and it looked like he may have, I think it was the TV title tournament, it looked like he may have been getting geared up for something, and then he just walked out. And then he was gone. And that was repeated everywhere he ever went. He'd stay a little while, he'd get pissed off about something, something would happen. He was a very different individual. And the stories went out, he was Scott Hall 10 years earlier or whatever, five years earlier maybe, where he had supposedly served time in prison for killing a guy barehanded, which is why that, you know, in a fight, obviously, which is why that he was he was so very soft-spoken and quiet and he had a, a limp handshake, and he just, he was not a person who drew attention in the locker room. Apparently, he was acting that way on purpose, because when he became his real self, he was out of fucking control. But, and then the run in the WWF. Um, well, the, the run that happened, because remember, Vince was ready to bring him in in 1984. They even yeah. put him on the cover of the program, and they did vignettes on TV. He never came in. Instead, he went yes. to world class. Instead, he went to Crockett. He was on the cover of Vince's magazine. Never worked a day for him at that point in time. Yeah. But that's what they the, everybody saw in him until they dealt with him. So anyway, then, you know, he was at He tried to run opposition to Don Owens and, and several attempts in Portland and in, in Oregon and Washington in the late 80s, early 90s was always getting sideways with the commission out there, which wasn't, you know, wrestling fans to begin with. And and then he's been in the news or popped up lately over the last several years for these weird videos he's done on YouTube and various places where he looked literally like a prospector out of central casting on an old episode of Gunsmoke with the gray hair and the toothless grin and he's lost his body and he's come down from the hills leading a mule or something and he's raving and saying weird shit and i think he's been one of the like the iron sheik when he was going through troubles where people around him maybe took advantage of him trying to you know to get these videos out because people are looking at it like what the fuck's the matter with this guy but Nobody, you know, nobody had him on the bingo card, as the kids say, for committing murder this week, I don't think. Now, but, he um, has said in some of these wacky interviews that he was a hitman and that he participated in murders. I believe one that conspiracy theorists say involved the Clintons. He has said he was involved in it. Yeah, but... And I his mean, WWF schedule kind of worked into it, made sense. I mean, it, who knows? It, when you've got a guy that's that weird to begin with and then got weirder as time goes on and something obviously happened to him, because, I mean, he wasn't just wandering around the locker rooms 40 years ago talking like that and with that appearance. So something's happened, you know, whether CTE or we don't know, but, you know... Uh, he was the one, I, I mean, if you remember when he really, when people realized just how crazy he was, he said that Vince had Benoit and his family killed 
because I believe he was saying that Daniel was actually Vince's love child. Like that's, yeah. That's how I, I completely out there it got. And even, even with modern revelations, no, that's, yeah, that's way over the top. And so anyway, now apparently this is an allegedly innocent till proven guilty, but they drug him out of the fucking house and his wife is dead. So there you go. And I remember the song. I remember the chorus because it was an anti-war song because Billy Jack was an anti-war movie, right? And the whole story of the song, 110 Soldier, was the people down in the valley were pissed off at the people up on the mountain because they had a treasure that they were, had all to themselves and the people in the valley wanted it. And that was the deal. So the people of the valley sent the message up the hill asking for the buried treasure, tons of gold for which they'd kill. Came an answer from the kingdom with our brothers. We will share all the secrets of our mountain, all the riches buried there. So, of course, the answer to that was the people go up and slaughter all the people on the fucking mountain to steal their treasure. And they turn the rock over to see the treasure. And peace on earth was all it said. Go ahead and hate your neighbor. Go ahead and cheat a friend. Do it in the name of heaven. You'll be justified in the end. There won't be any trumpets blowing come the judgment day on the bloody morning after one tin soldier rides away. That's the song. Well, I don't know if that'll be the song he's singing, but we'll stay tuned to that. We'll see what else we can find out about this story. Again, we're recording again almost right away. But you know what? The internet sucks, and I'm pissed. Yeah, so we're gonna and, call and by it a the day. way, there's been five different times in this program where we've lost our connection and had to fucking reestablish this thing. So you need to get on the Infinity people. Xfinity, yeah. Comcast Xfinity. Well, get- you need to X them out of your life like Charlie did. <laughs> All right, well, there we go. A proper ending to this show of more next week. Uh, Billy Jack Haynes, if he wasn't a nut, I would say call Stephen P. New, but maybe other people should instead. 877-507-8383. I think you should. To report the goddamn people trying to run you out of business uh, providing your shitty internet service. Call Stephen P. New at 877-50-STEVE. All right. Well, with that, we'll be right back tomorrow, and at least in terms of recording and Whenever you hear this shit on YouTube, for Jim Cornette, <laughs> I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho!